0: This episode was intended to cover 1980s slasher films from 1980 through 1984, but we took so long and went so in-depth on this particular episode (laughs) that we actually only got through 1980 and 1981. And no we still didn't even cover everything. We tried to hit most of the biggest stuff, but still you got a three and a half hour episode ahead of you. So even though in the introduction here, we'll be claiming that we're going to cover the first five years of the decade. There is no way it would have been like a 12 hour episode. So anyways, enjoy. Serious About Horror Movies. We typically bring you a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday except in October when we have weekly releases to celebrate Halloween. And this is episode 101. It is a themed episode where we'll be exploring the slasher movies of the 1980s. And since this is a two-part episode, tonight we'll be covering releases between 1980 and 1984. And next Friday, we'll be releasing episode 102, and that'll cover slashers from 1985 through 89. And on a horror movie podcast, you usually get in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are...
1: Dave,
0: Dr.
2: Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman, Josh J. Night's the night. Crops is going to get what he deserves.
0: <laughs> Welcome. And, uh, guys, <laughs> speaking of getting what they deserve, the listeners tonight are going to get something they truly deserve. And that is. Um, one of the most appropriate special guests we could possibly bring on the show. If you've ever watched, and I'm, this is all off the cuff, so if this doesn't turn out well, that's why. <laughs> but If you've ever watched Bob Ross paint a painting, or um, what are some other greats? Help me, guys.
2: <laughs> Bob Ross is one of the greats.
0: Yeah, he is one of the greats. Uh, what, uh,
2: watch uh, what, uh,
1: what other people
0: do it, paint? Like Mario Andretti, uh, if you ever watched him drive a race car. Oh, yeah. If, uh, Michael,
1: if, no, I've never seen him paint, but I've it, seen him
0: drive a race car. If you ever watched uh dave thomas make a hamburger
1: seeing <laughs> robert england paint
0: there you go there you go so How about t- <laughs> michael
2: jordan played basketball that's what i, I always think of uh, there you
0: I, go. I love michael that jordan. now you're talking okay so
1: wayne, wayne gretzky yeah.
0: well tonight we bring you the michael jordan of slasher films He is one of the the biggest horror fans I know and one of the biggest Halloween fans I know. He is the original uh, creepshire and he is also a southern gentleman. He is the host of the Land of the Creeps podcast. We welcome Greg Amortis.
3: Wow. Michael Jordan and Bob Ross in one sentence. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you, Jay, for having me come on, brother. Thank you so much. And wow, ow, ow, ow. man, Josh, and of course, yeah. my buddy, Doc, what's up,
1: guys? How hey. <laughs> much, sir? Thank you for coming on. Thanks so much. For I being know. On. I know that I know you love this. I know you love slashers just from, you know, the old Planet Macabre days. That was your segment. You'd, always, be, oh, uh, you'd always come in with a slasher fell. Slash from Slash the stash. Slash
3: from the
0: stash.
3: That's right, <laughs> Jay yeah. man. And you did not put any pressure on me whatsoever. No. <laughs> I appreciate
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love it. Well, thank you for being here. And, I, and if you don't mind, Greg Amortis, Mortis, I'm sure the entire horror community listening to this podcast is well aware of you. But just in case we have some brand new people who are just getting into horror podcasting, tell them what you do over at Land of the Creeps.
3: I pretty much do nothing. I just, uh, well, first of all, I am from Wilmington, North Carolina now. So I will throw out since y'all done your location. So from the beach, uh, now land of the creeps, horror podcast, I host over there with yours, truly Dr. Shock and, and a, a few others I've got, um, God, I've got so many right now, Dr. Dirty, Jesse Robbins, and, uh, that's the main crew. And as long as well as Chantel feston has been on a little bit lately. So, you know, we just review horror movies, man. And we've kind of changed our format over the years. Last year, I've Uh kind of created a new format where we do uh, weekly now. And one week we're doing the 1930s. Right now we're going through Journey Through Horror Cinema. We started with the 20s. We're in the 30s. We'll continue on through with the 40s and 50s and on up. And then we're also doing Italian horror, uh, which equals out usually about two episodes a month. And then we're doing our newer films. So just changed it up a little bit, just to keep it fresh, but just trying to help keep horror alive. And that's what we do, baby. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Love it, man. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So listeners should definitely check out land of the creeps. Of course, that'll be linked in the show notes is a must listen. And uh, Greg, I remember I just said on here recently, you were one of the originals, uh, at least for me in horror podcasting. Because uh, when I started listening to Planet Macabre, and then also the Creeps Your Feature horror podcast, mm-hmm. those are good memories for me. So thanks for oh, your thank work you so much.
3: Yeah, it's it's been a long yep. time. I think I started podcasting in 2010. And, uh, God, I love it so much It's my life man. literally like
0: my life. (laughs) Uh We understand.
1: Great. Grace talked to some of the, Greg's talked to some of the, uh, some of the big ones too. And I I know you've, uh, uh, interviewed, um, Herschel Gordon Lewis.
3: Mm -hmm. Yes. On two occasions and God rest his soul. um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Daniel Harris. I know
3: you had her on one time. Yes, and cool. Bo Duke himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do want to mention yep. uh, to all the listeners, man, I got to give a special shout out to old Miss Danielle herself, man. Congratulations on a baby boy coming. She is pregnant having a boy. Wow. wow. Oh, <laughs> right. Nice. I'm upset it's not my baby.
2: Yeah, who's the lucky guy?
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, the day went and got married. <laughs>
0: That's wonderful. Well, the other thing we wanted to tell listeners right up front is that um, listener Kagan from Salt Lake City, back when we went to, I think it was the Don't Breathe screening, he pitched an idea about having a a slasher madness. What is that called when you do the? basketball things where two teams versus... I'm not a sports guy, as you can tell. <laughs> you're
1: talking like the brackets? brackets. The, um, the that's, uh, that's what March I was... Madness bracket. Yeah. I guess is what you're th- yeah.
0: So he yeah. has it structured, as I understand it, somewhat like that, right? Where we're trying to determine the horror movie podcast community's favorite 80 slasher flick. So this is Kagan's description. He says, Slasher Madness is a tournament where classic 80 slasher movies are pitted head to head to see which is the favorite of the horror movie podcast community and the tournament will consist of four rounds and a final where the HMP community will vote on the choices. And each week the votes will be checked to see which films advance to the next rounds. Listeners should vote as if the movie they choose gets to survive and the movie that they didn't vote for gets hacked to pieces and will never be seen again. (laughs) I love, I love Kagan and he says, please only vote once. And the results of each round will be hidden and then announced on the newest episode of Horror Movie Podcast. So uh, make sure you participate. We'll definitely have that linked in the show notes.
2: Kagan said, I heard him talking to some of the listeners on Twitter. I I heard him. Uh, I (laughs) saw he was talking to some of the listeners on Twitter about the choices. He was limited to 32 movies. And Mm. so um, he had a hard time picking and choosing which ones he wanted to include. And of course, you know, people are already complaining that some were left off the list. And I know one of Jay's favorites, Intruder, wasn't uh, available for selection of those 32 picks. And um, The Dorm the Drip Blood, one of uh, Jay and Doc's favorite movies to discuss, wasn't available
4: mm-hmm. for <laughs> selection. Oh, that's a shame. Um, <laughs>
2: Yeah, but I mean, you know, yeah. Kagan. Didn't I, thought it, and, I, thought, well,
1: I it thought it was on there. Yeah, I thought maybe it was. Yeah, it got it got beat by pieces. pieces. I think. Yeah. Well, okay. that, that makes. Was, I mean, I actually voted. actually for Pieces in between the two of them.
2: Yeah. I just saw that Kagan wasn't able to include everything he wanted to. So, if there are a few missing from the list. Tough luck,
0: but yeah, the- go Halloween. He,
1: yeah, he covered a lot of them though. Oh so, yeah, 32, 32
2: slashers is pretty good. So, mm-hmm.
0: I mean, yeah, it's great.
3: Halloween was yeah, on it's there, only, right?
1: It's a, it's, uh, no, it's only the '80s.
3: You can put it in the '80s. It first aired in 1981. <laughs> there you go, bam! <laughs> I knew
0: it. I knew it.
3: I'm just kidding. You knew I'd throw it. <laughs> no, I, I love
0: that. it. Well, you have to. It's it's part <laughs> of what you do. It's your mo. It is my mo. So what we're gonna do then to create some space since this is a slasher episode at the end of this episode we're actually going to give you the results of round one and we're going to have these guys the hosts guess which ones beat the other ones so anyway that didn't make any sense yeah made the cut that's right so (laughs) i want to thank our uh, good friend kagan for all of his hard work if you heard the the intro music uh, he he helped out with that so he does a lot for us and we really appreciate it kagan thank you yeah absolutely Okay guys, so so here's what we're going to do just so the listeners understand. We are just going to talk briefly about like kind of how we got into the 80s slashers, meaning how the 80s slashers came to be and and then next week when we're doing our 1985 to 1989, we'll be talking a little more in depth about analyzing the structure of a slasher film because that's usually what we do on this podcast is kind of analyze analyze the way a film is built. Or a subgenre works, the way it works. But uh, because we've got so many movies to discuss from 1980 to 1984, we're just going to have a brief discussion up front and then jump right into it. So um, the, the very first thing I just wanted to ask Greg Amortis here is, because I know he's got a drum to beat for this. Mm-hmm. Greg, how, as a slasher expert, <laughs> how do you think, how do you believe The 80s slasher subgenre came to be. Well, it was,
3: uh, I mean, for me, obviously, it would have been a complete nod to Halloween, obviously, 1978, and of course, Psycho, different things, but I think that's where it came from. And I believe it came in an era coming out of the 70s, coming out of that kind of grindhouse feel. I think people were looking for something different. And, you know, with the success of an independent film like Halloween, you know, making buck a bucks off a of little you know directors jumped on board and said hey what do we need to do how can i make that kind of money and it was an easy concept you know a body count you got a killer a body count show some boobs and and go with it and that's <laughs> where that 80 slashers popped from obviously in my opinion was solely well not solely but i'd say majorly because of halloween um It's just because you can make a really uh, cheap film without having to do anything dramatic or, you know, anything theatrical looking, so to speak. You know, you could do something simple, like I said, show show lots of boobs, throw a little bit of blood (laughs) and put a lot of people that you didn't care about just as a body count and. Bam, slasher is <laughs> oh. an easy concept don't have to have a storyline you just <laughs> you know somebody going around stalking somebody and kill them that's simple enough and that's where the craze come from i honestly believe that so as a And it's fa- just not me speaking jay i mean that's that's from right. multiple, Sights, multiple yeah. people it yeah. is
0: well yeah. it is it is fact. this is fact coming from greg and Mortis. and see there the thing is <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours, Greg. And, and the thing is, I know that you love zombie movies as well, but it seems to me that slashers are your favorite. And I just wondered if you could tell the listeners why it's your favorite. I think mainly the
3: suspense of a, of a slasher film, man. It, it was something about, um, of course, a body count. I love gore. I love kills. I love unique kills. And that's what you were getting in slasher films. It wasn't just a straight up... You know, a zombie killing somebody or or whatever, a vampire biting you on the neck. I mean, you were getting these sometimes masked killers or whatever, and you were seeing unique and, and unusual ways of killing people, whether it was a snap of a neck or a pitchfork or a machete or, you know, you name it, ice pick. You know, numerous, numerous utensils at, at hand. And, I mean, it was just something... Um, as a kid, that fascinated me, it was like I don't know how to even explain it. Jay it was just something that that I gravitated to after Halloween was just like I wanted more of that feeling, that thrill, that scare, uh that blood, the boobs, the whole nine yards, and I didn't get it in any other genre or subgenre other than slashers. Mm-hmm. It was like, I don't know how to explain it. It's just something special.
0: I got you. What about you, Dave? What, what do you say it, is the created the phenomenon that became the '80s slashers movement? Uh,
1: the, what what it's what started it all?
0: Well, I mean, what what do you think? Why do you think it became such a phenomenon in and of itself? I mean, we know that Halloween influenced it, but what made it stick and become this big, huge wave? It, it's really it, it's a kind of subgenre movement, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, yeah, it it, it is, and and it's just. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, obviously the, the influence of Halloween, the, I think it just happened to, to strike a nerve with, with audiences. You know, it's, it's like Greg was saying, it's, 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 it's a roller coaster. You go to the theater, um, you see some, um, intense kill scenes. Uh, you get a chance to cheer because they're not giving you characters. Uh, like you're saying that you generally are going to to like or or identify with, um, you know, some you do, and they usually last a little longer than some of the others. Um, and it just, uh, I guess, it just struck a nerve. And it was almost, a, in a way too, it was almost kind of an us against them, you know, because critics mm-hmm. hated these movies. They <laughs> absolutely uh, right, Cisco yes. Nefer, so hated. Friday the 13th, they released, um, who was it, the the, the, um, the the lead actress?
0: Betsy Palmer.
1: Um, Betsy Palmer's, like, Gene Siskel released Betsy Palmer's address so that people could send her mail, you know, saying, how dare you appear in a movie like this. <laughs> and it was just every single week, and they were getting tired of it because they were getting nothing but those movies for how many solid years they were getting those <laughs> movies, and they just didn't want any have any time for any of them. But it wasn't just them. It was other critics, too. People, these were these movies were reviled um, by critics. And and it was almost, it wasn't just how, you know, it wasn't just the critics saying these movies are no good. It was the critics saying, how dare you like these movies?
0: <laughs> right. you know, how,
1: how, dare, how dare you go and watch these sort of movies?
0: Shaming people, yeah.
1: Right. Gotcha. And then you just started to get, because then the killers themselves became... What people are going to see when you had, you know, obviously Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers and and then uh, later on Freddy Krueger and all. That's who people wanted to see. They were going to see those characters do what they did best. And it was just sort of a at the right time and at the, the right sort of movie for that time period for that particular audience.
0: What do you think, Wolfman?
2: Yeah, I like a lot of what these guys have said. I think for me, I'm really interested in the slashers that come out of the Who Done It. Type of you know uh, structure, and I think you know coming out like
1: the Giallo.
2: Yeah, exactly. Coming uh, out of the
1: Giallos,
2: I kind of see. I mean, we did a whole episode on the proto slasher, and we you know reviewed the entire Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth franchises. So I'm sure a lot of these ideas we've discussed before. But I like those films. Um, I like that the suspense, like Greg said, of not knowing. For Mm. me, mostly I like not knowing who the killer is, but then adding to that. Even once you know the, who the killer is in some of these bigger franchises, it becomes almost like the game clue. Like, who's going to die? Where are they <laughs> going to die? And with what instrument are they going to die? Yeah, right. Yes.
4: <laughs> yes. And yes, that, Wolfman. That yes. The
2: suspense a little bit, right? Is like, oh, how how is this going to play out? Which of these people will survive? Mm. And that's part of it. But I think, you know, speaking to your point, Jay, about it being in this wave, I think it's just. Um, you know, the thing we always talk about with horror well, two things. One, this sense of confronting our own mortality. And then two, just the roller coaster effect of just like, ooh, I want to get scared. I think slashers really hit you in the face with that more than a lot of the more psychological horror that had come before.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, yeah, for audiences that now were used to exploitation cinema coming out of the 60s and 70s um we could you know we could handle kind of these more shocking things slashers are kind of just this slap across the face like whoa and um yeah i think i think that's a big part of it and also yeah with the 80s man it was just this time of consumption and like everything had to be bigger and more in your face and so the movies really fit with that time period well but um i don't know it's a it's a genre that i i've always really enjoyed and it's a hard one to explain to people why you enjoy it so yeah,
0: much. Yeah, yes, it is. Uh,
2: without seeming well. like a freak. But hey, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of my very favorite genres. It's one of my very favorite subgenres in, in movies of all types of movies. And, um, and for me, yeah, it's that suspense that Greg Mortis talked about. You know, back to that idea of clue, you can take that all the way back to Hitchcock. You know, Hitchcock talked about the bomb on the bus or the bomb under the table,
4: mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah. There is scaring someone. But then there's but then what what's better to scare them and have that scare end or to draw that out in suspense hmm. and know there's a bomb under the table and we as the viewers know it but the people at the table don't know it or the hmm. people on the bus don't know it and so everything that happens every second that they're still on that bus every second that they're still at that table and us and we know that the bomb's there the tension builds and builds and builds and so we have that little bursts throughout the slasher um, you know, we get these kill after kill after kill. And oftentimes, you know, I'm going to talk about the burning later. Most of those characters don't know what's going on till like the last 10 minutes of the movie. Right. <laughs> you
4: know, that's
1: one of the things, yes, that, 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 that not learning, they don't, they don't have any clue. Like they're just sort of wandering in their own little world, not realizing that, you know, behind the cabin, this guy's getting, getting killed or, yeah. you know, this one out in the woods is, is, is getting killed. They don't, they don't know that. That's one of the strongest things I think about Texas Chainsaw too. Was no character had any knowledge of what was going on until it was absolutely too late, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think that that Mm -hmm. does it a lot. You you said uh, Josh for the slasher as well. And going back to your Hitchcock point, we talked about the suspense. He and that was a you know you, you you hit that spot on when he says about the bomb under the table. If if he says the difference between surprise and suspense is if the bomb goes off and nobody knows about it, that's a surprise. If he shows the bomb and the people are sitting there talking, and they're and the bomb is ticking away, and, and then the, the one guy goes, okay, well, it's time to go, and the other guy says, well, no, let me finish my coffee. It's building suspense. Right. But Hitchcock's, Hitchcock's idea was always to alleviate that suspense um, you know, for the viewer. He had one bad uh, example with a movie called Sabotage, where, where he had something happen, and um, it actually caused riots, and he said the mistake was he didn't, he didn't. He didn't alleviate. You know. He didn't. He didn't resolve that tension. Um. <laughs> to, to sort of give the get the, to let that audience off the hook. Slashers hmm. don't do that. They don't let us off the hook.
4: Right. Or maybe they
1: do. It, the, well, sometimes the uh, depends, like toward the right. end. Yeah. Toward the end, they do. But for a lot of the time, you know, it's just like okay, we see the slasher closing in on this guy. He he doesn't see it. Yeah. And but, boom. But rope
2: rope works in that way where there's tension through the entire film. Yes. We know there's a dead body in the cupboard the entire movie. Right. for rope, but right. there's a dead body in the cupboard the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. I think slashers work that way a lot as well. And then the last point I would make is just what uh, Greg kind of said about the boobs and the blood. There's a transgressive nature about these movies where I think a lot of us, we were little kids or mm-hmm. we were teenagers when we're seeing these. And so these are movies about kids on their own. You know, mm-hmm. We learned that from the writer of Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about these are kids away from adult supervision, a place where adults can't help them, and it's kind of fascinating as a kid to kind of see that possibility play out, and and terrifying to see where that might go.
4: Right?
0: Yeah. And yeah don't part, have sex, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or else. Yeah. Well, there's a part of me that wonders if um, there's something about the stalking killer that fascinates our psyche, or or if there's something about the monsters that are us. I mean, because, like, you could be afraid of zombies or vampires or something, but we know that they don't exist. We hope they mm-hmm. don't. But with with a ser- serial killer, you see that on the news, and anybody could be a victim of those. And so I wonder... Absolutely. Absolutely. If there's something to the fact that it's like, okay, these monsters actually do exist out in the world, and they look like us, they could be yeah. your next door neighbor or one of your family members, heaven forbid. But I think there's a yeah. fascination with the killer uh, psyche,
1: and that, that element of that element of realism. There's an element of realism there that this could actually happen. Maybe not later on, in when uh, when the killers are being, you know, brought back to life with a bolt of yeah. lightning in the chest or something. But you right. know, in the, in the early dawn, yes. Is that uh, this, this? is something that could. This is something that could happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, we definitely have some supernatural slashers. I mean, Jay, you were you were definitely wanting to call a Nightmare on Elm Street a slasher, and I had some trouble with that just because it's a it's a fully supernatural type of film, or mm-hmm. even House by the Cemetery, or like J- or like Dave was saying about um you know Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees and these guys mm-hmm. keep coming back for more. Um, I don't know. Does that kill some of the some of the ingredient that makes the slasher so uh, appealing?
4: <laughs>
1: it, it definitely changed over time. You know, yeah, when it got yeah. a little bit uh, got a little bit later on, they they did introduce those elements of um, okay. Well, we, we you like this killer? We we you know, it's almost like we have to sort of kill him off at the end of every movie. But don't worry, he he'll come back, and here's how he's gonna come.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you
1: know,
2: we had a lot of um like a lot of our killers early on in these slasher movies a lot of them were mentally deranged people who were kind of falling apart as they were killing you know it seemed like even they're just like losing their minds in in the act and then it definitely had a switch where we started rooting for these people and we uh-huh. care about them and taken to the full extent with rob zombies halloween but um but even earlier than that i think like you were saying I, i'm sure we're rooting for jason for what from part three or four on about mm, yeah
0: in, uh, sure yeah but well it's really bizarre but uh, yeah for me the answer to your question it does kind of take away from it once it drifts into mm-hmm. the supernatural realm but i wonder about Greg Amortis, who loves slashers with a perfect love a wholesome mm-hmm. love <laughs> like like for you greg well, how do you feel about when it when it goes into like supernatural territory and really out there
3: Yeah, I mean, it it does take away. Don't get me wrong. I mean, how many times are you going to kill Michael Myers or Jason or whatever? Um, But at the same time, it doesn't affect me watching it because I just I love the genre. So I don't care if Michael dies 52 times. I mean, just bring him back and let him (laughs) kill and let him be. uh, You know what I mean? I'm okay with that. But I see your point on it. it. It is. Uh, I mean Jason more than anything. I mean I hate to throw Jason under the bus because he's like my brother, you know. Voorhees, you know, <laughs> me and him go way back. But now I mean, but you know, how many times are you going to bring him back as a skeletal and then bring him back into full body zombie mode? Uh, yeah, I mean yeah. It, it goes into a whole almost subgenre of a subgenre, Josh. It really does. It almost becomes instead yeah, mm-hmm. of a slasher, you become a, you know, something else. Supernatural, slasher. Yeah, yeah, you do, you mm-hmm. do. So, I mean, I can see the arguments on both sides, but I, I love it. I mean, I don't. It doesn't deter me from watching him and saying and this is a this is a slasher. I love it.
1: <laughs> and Jason was one of the ones. I mean, you could you could kind of argue his entire existence was that way. I mean, the reason Tom Savini didn't want to come back for Friday the Thirteenth Part Two is because when he heard the story, he goes, "That's stupid. It was a dream sequence."
4: Yeah. yeah, you know, you know
1: with thing. with 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 Jason, so you can kind of uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I guess that would be considered a spoiler, Jamie. We should put a spoiler <laughs> warning in front of that. <laughs> um, but that's what, what I mean. That's the way they, uh, you know, th- that was the whole existence of Friday the Thirteenth. They established that right in the very first movie.
0: Hmm. Well, some of the listeners, I get a, a few comments from the listeners, just general thoughts about slashers. Some of them are. Pretty discriminating. And one listener I really respect is Jason Dragon. He said, I'll preface this by saying that I've decided not to list any Jalo films as they're part of an entirely separate subgenre. He mm-hmm. said, If we're sticking with slashers, then I cannot include films like A Blade in the Dark. Uh, te- I always pronounce wow. this wrong. Tenebra. How do you say that Tenebra. one?
3: Tenebra. I call it Tenebra. Tenebra. Thank you.
0: Yeah. The New York Ripper. And then he says, Stage Fright would also have been considered as yellow as it acts as one plenty of its running time. I also feel that A Nightmare on Elm Street series is something that falls into another category. These acts are taking place during head-to-pillow time, so I must move them over to a supernatural section. So Jason Dragon likes to kind of delineate them further there.
2: I mean, I don't have any problem with that. I actually really like this idea that it takes place from head to pillow time. I think that's that's <laughs> yeah. an interesting way to talk about the paranormal, right? I think, I right. think that's interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a dirty little secret going on. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> but but one who's not uh, a slasher fan per se, he says the slasher subgenre isn't my favorite, but it's the one I have the most fun with. When and there's a little shout out to Greg Amortis here. I love it. He says when weather starts turning cold, at least to us in the dirty South, <laughs> then, <laughs> then, then that's when I start getting my slasher itch. So that, yes. that's what does it for him. And then one last one here for now, uh, Mark H. From the UK. People want to follow Mark on Instagram. It's football huck. He says, first, let me say that this is my favorite horror movie subgenre. It's comfort horror is what he calls mm-hmm. it. He says, I suppose as it offers scares, Humor and a bit of cheese when it's at its best.
3: Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Cheese was a must.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's very true. And it is is like comfort because you know the formula going in and yet Mm -hmm. you're still enjoying it. You know, any other movie nowadays, you're like, oh, boy, this old formula. But with the 80 Slashers, for some reason, it just it worked.
0: Yes, it did. So I think we'll kind of close out our discussion there because we're going to analyze the way the structure of the films in next week's show. But we got to get Uh moving into these (laughs) films because there are so many. We've kind of looked at this list we've compiled. And how many did you say was on that list that you put together, Josh? What was that? I
2: literally have no idea. I mean, it's it looks like a thousand. It took me several hours to put the (laughs) list together. I was like, and when I was done, I was like, I don't think I've even heard of like seventy-five percent of these movies.
0: I know, right? So it's it's crazy, insane. So we're gonna. This is gonna be really kind of weird and random. We're just gonna start with nineteen eighty. We're gonna start throwing out titles and talk a little bit about it. Um, I'll I'll just go first to kind of set the pace here. Um, So this movie, I, I guess it it comes up. I, you know how I'm always pulling out my hair and having um, nervous breakdowns over release years, so <laughs> you guys might have to pardon this one, because I, I, I've seen release dates as of November 1979, but whatever, okay, so it's Silent Scream, I assume from 1980, and, that's the, and, and that one is when Jason Dragon, it was in his top 20, he had it as number seven, and he said it's a rare barber Steele performance with a great score, I love this one. Are right. are you guys familiar with uh, Silent Scream? Have you has anyone seen that one? No. Okay, because of the premises, during her first semester at college, a co ed finds housing at a seaside mansion where following the death of a fellow student, she becomes entangled in a murder mystery surrounding the property and its secretive tenants. So anyway, that was wow. one. he had that yeah. on his list. So, yeah interesting um do I you want to go
2: to my giant list jason dragon thank you
0: yes yeah so and if you guys want what we can do is kind of go round robin everybody just um just go around the greg next and throw out a 1980 when one you just want to mention buddy
3: um uh, well there's so many uh throw out prom night for instance let's let's say prom night Got it. that one of course being jamie lee curtis and uh Coming in the disco era.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep, that one, that one scene that uh, <laughs> some people love it, some people hate it.
3: Yeah, I mean, and this was one of those slasher films that I absolutely love, but I know there's a lot of hate on it, and I can understand that too. It's a Canadian film. Uh, a lot of those films in the '80s were filmed in Canada because of the budgetary and and tax write off that kind of deal. Uh, but I, this was one that I absolutely thought was amazing. I love disco music even today. Don't kill me, don't butcher me, but I do. Um, but I, would I just love, I love to see
2: you disco dance.
0: Me oh, too.
3: Man, I, man, don't get me going with staying alive. A little John Travolta going on
0: here. I, uh, I understand uh, Greg Morris is a good dancer, actually. That's what I've heard. Have <laughs> <laughs> hey, been in my bedroom? Uh, no, no, sir. No, sir.
3: Uh, I I just absolutely loved this film. I mean, you had Leslie Nielsen in it. You had, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis and, you know, a pretty decent cast. But I love the the suspense of the killer, you know, uh, Josh with the whole – you didn't know who it was. You know, they would throw out them red herons at you. like, oh, maybe it's this one or maybe it was this one. And, and you throw in, of course, the beautiful Jamie Lee Curtis showing some bra boobage and stuff. And it, it just worked. I thoroughly enjoyed this
0: one. <laughs> You're not alone, Greg, because uh, Jason Dragon also had this on his list. I think it was like an honorable mention. He said prom night is a, a solid good time that reminds us that Jamie Lee Curtis is probably our greatest cream queen of scream. And yes then, and
2: then oh, jo- cream queen of scream that's a new <laughs> title for her queen,
0: <laughs> cream queen yeah that's a little cream, uh, cream, freudian cream. slip there and then uh joe brunette he had this down as his number 14 joe brunette and then uh Ooh. projectile varmint uh suzy she yes. she said uh, greatest chase scene that others have emulated numerous times since
3: Ooh. Yep good. Wow. call. See, I love every one of that you just mentioned. They're all great people. <laughs> <They are. laughs> I
2: like I like Prom Night because it has that who done it aspect that I talked about. That's one yeah, of my favorite does. things and there's a you know there's a shout out to Prom Night in Scream, which is a film that I love where they talk about, you know, it's like Prom Night, everybody's a suspect <laughs> and I love that <laughs> element of this. I think it's one of the coolest parts about Prom Night. And except for the poster not the Jamie Lee Curtis like DVD Blu-ray poster, but the original poster is one of the coolest slasher posters of all time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, and in terms of you know what gets me the most excited about films are like the premise and the story, and I just love the fact that you've got you've got this accidental death situation, which is horrifying in and of itself to me. I mean that mm-hmm. whole concept. Of an accidental death and then trying to cover it up and hide it and then they start getting picked off. Man, that's a freaky concept. So I think it totally yep. works. Oh yeah. All right, uh, Doc Shock, you go next with a 1980 pick.
1: All right. Um, I was look, looking over the list here. There was a couple, but you know what? I'm going to do with uh, with this one because I had I had seen it not too long ago. It's um. So this is 1980 funny because i had it as 81 we'll stick it in 1980 though it's just before dawn yes mm. yes uh by jeff lieberman um this one is this, this is a this one is uh it's a really interesting sort of slash. you got these five guys that go out into the, these five guys five hikers go out into the woods um and you know they, they go they're up in the mountains of oregon um you know what they're looking at the land so what happens when one of them has a deed to a few dozen acres there, and they've never been there before, so they're going to go check it out. Um, you know, George Kennedy plays a park ranger who tells them, "Hey, you don't want to go up there." Um, and then this one guy, uh, a hunter, comes running out of nowhere, tells talks about this demon that, that killed his nephew, and that is the opening scene of the movie. Uh, and it's telling him you know, to get out of there. But you know, despite all that, they say, "Okay, whatever." They go up into the woods set up camp they're near this waterfall and uh yeah there's uh there's something out there and it's watching them and you get it's uh you get a lot of the you know a lot of the standards um but there but it also has something in common with deliverance Mm -hmm. you know and that's actually what uh, what the director said was was his chief influence on this movie was deliverance but it does have a lot in common with um with the slashers also um and it's it's just a good one. I mean, this guy made a couple of interesting horror movies. He did Squirm, which was not a classic by any stretch of the imagination. I think Mystery I think Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand even included one of their episodes. Uh, but then Just Before Dawn is um, yeah, it's one that I really do uh, I, I really did enjoy it, and it is a it is a um, I put it right in there as a slasher. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jason Dragon also commented on that one. He said, if you haven't seen Hunter's Blood, this is a great predecessor. And I like the concept, Dave, of them being up in the mountains. And I, Deliverance is one of my all time favorite films. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. saying over the moon about that. But I also yeah. like how um, this one has a tiny bit of a... Texas Chainsaw 1974 influence because they're going to examine right. the property that they had purchased. And, um, and yep. I think that's, that reminds me a little bit of that. But.
1: And one of the cool things I remember when I was doing the, the – because I covered this on the blog and as I was looking up the trivia for it, one night while they were filming, the lights inexplicably went out when they were in the middle of the woods. Everyone was in total <laughs> darkness, and then they just inexplicably came back on. on. And there was really no explanation as to why that happened.
3: Because there's ghosts up in them hills. <laughs> that's
0: right, brother. <laughs> that's freaky. Okay, uh, what do you got, uh, Wolfman? What's a 1980 pick for you?
2: Mm, that's a good question. Um, first of all, I need to apologize. I think I, as I'm looking at some of these, a lot of these 1980 films are actually from 82. So uh, apologies, wow. guys. My my list may be off in terms of the year. I I worked hard, but not hard enough. So That's all right. Um, that's I'm kind of, like, Googling them as I look at them. But, uh, man, there's so many that I love. Just one, Jay? Are we going to come back around on these?
0: Oh, yeah, we're just going to keep going around in circles. Okay, well,
2: I'll start out with one that will just totally annihilate all my credibility from the beginning. Because I know, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'm the only person here that likes this movie. Um, That would be Christmas Evil, a.k.a. You Better Watch Out from (laughs) 1980.
3: You're not the only one. That is a pretty good film.
2: I I loved (laughs) it. Well really? Because, Jay you gave it a four, Dave gave it a two. What did Greg give it? You know
3: I gave that thing like a one <laughs> <laughs> i, can't, I can't remember I cannot remember my rating on this film, but it it's one of those uh Jay, Jay that when you watch it, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about on this film I do. it was a it was a very um dated film <laughs> right, and this was the one with the kid getting slapped. <laughs> By the, by the dad, I think it was. It was like, hey kid, smack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 A lot of stuff of that. But it, it's 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 you know, when you go into Christmas genre horror movies, there's not a lot out there. There really isn't. And,
0: and this is the one with that insane ending, right? I mean we won't we won't say what it is, but <laughs> yeah, the, right, the right, ending right. that nobody ever could forget.
2: <laughs> it's the beginning that nobody could ever forget. I think, you know, there's uh <laughs> there's this this kid who, like a lot of these horror movies, is scarred by a former evil i guess and the,
5: mm-hmm. and
2: um you know that plays out when he becomes an adult in some psychotic ways and there're just some hilarious scenes like just genuinely terrifying scenes of this guy who thinks he's Santa Claus um, observing children at the beginning of this movie. Like, <laughs> what the crap? This is so freaky. Yes. But um, <laughs> the movie's a little bit goofy, but I really enjoyed this one. We covered this back in our 2014 uh, Christmas horror special, Jay, on Good. episode mm. 37. Nice. And then you guys had previously covered it on Weekly Horror.
1: Is that right?
0: This was a Planet Macabre one, right, guys? It was a Planet Macabre.
1: And I got to mm. tell you, I, have, I only saw it. that was the first time I'd seen it. And it was the fourth movie I had seen that day or something. So I might have to go back and watch it again.
3: It had the great assembly line uh, scene in there with the making the Christmas toys and the boy, yeah. the dude just going ballistic. Like, yeah,
1: yes. I do. Re- I do remember being <laughs> being legitimately creeped out by that whole watching kids um, at, at the beginning. Now, that, that one, I think that might've been one of the things I definitely didn't, uh, it, that did bother me about it not bother yeah. me in a bad sense but that it was like it it's it sort of like wow that, yeah that guy's that guy's really out there <laughs> yeah. i just like
2: um bad movies that you can tell the filmmakers really cared oh still. yeah so oh, like yeah. that's uh, you know i mean this is no one likes this movie but troll 2 is an example of that for me where the movie is awful but the filmmakers trying so hard Right. Uh-huh. make to make that movie good and um this is another great example for me like i can tell there's a ton of craft in this movie but it just doesn't totally come together but for me it's still it, it's enough that it's enjoyable
0: Josh oh, it, yeah. I got your back it's so cool you said it because uh, writer director Lewis Jackson on this you can actually find uh, YouTube videos of interviews of him talking about this and he also discusses its famous ending and this guy is very earnest and he's very serious so Josh you picked up on that right on the money he really did care about this film and he was genuinely trying to make a good film um, at least from his interview, that's the impression I get. But you know who else has your back is uh Jason Dragon once again. It's in his top twenty all time wow. slashers. It's his number five, guys. And he's wow. and he wow. says, My favorite Christmas horror film of the eighties, people call it boring, I send them coal. <laughs>
3: Wow. <laughs> and so he's he's obviously putting that above Silent Night Deadly Night. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Oh. Yes, he is. And and you know, one last comment on it for me is that um the the, the fact that, you know, this guy flips out because he learns about Santa Claus not being real. Mm-hmm. I just recently had an experience where I, you know, broke the news to my 8-year-old son and um I I could see this happening cuz he was freaking ticked off. He's like, "I've wasted yeah. all this time." i <laughs> um, thinking about that. I mean, he, he he got really ticked, and I'm like, uh oh, Christmas Evil all over again. <laughs> like <so. Yeah>, right. <laughs> so, anyway, you know, that
3: brings up a good point. Not, you know, as far as, you know, you were talking about Mr. Dragon there, talking about this being his fifth. You know, in the Christmas and all that. You know, that that was something that made Slasher, too, so special, Jay, was, is that you don't get upset with somebody that has a movie that, you know, you put above something else. Slasher's had so much of the movement that either there's a lot of them that you either loved or you hated, and it brings up such heated arguments sometimes, but then you love each other for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, for me to say Christmas Evil was better than Silent Night, Deadly Night, I couldn't say that, but could I fault him for saying it? No, absolutely not.
4: Mm -hmm. It's
3: one of them sub-genres that you have so much debate over that it's fun. I mean, there's so much Uh discussion. How do you like this one? You don't get that necessarily in zombies or vampires or whatever. Slashers, you get that that passion out of you. You're like, no, Halloween's the greatest movie ever. You're crazy. Chainsaw (laughs) Massacre is no crazy. think people are so passionate about slasher films. I love it. Love it. <laughs> I'm, it?
0: I'm with you. Totally. So uh, good, good pick there. I got one for you guys here. So this is uh, uh, Don't Go in the House from 1980. <laughs> and I actually remember you guys covering this on, uh, I think it was the weekly horror movie podcast. And it's about a disturbed young man who was burned as a child by his sadistic mother. He stalks women with a flamethrower. Directed by Joseph Ellison. And once again, Jason Dragon in his top twenty, this is his number three, and he said, wow. I've, I've been obsessed with this psycho ripoff for many years. Can't help how much I adore it. So do you remember that I one, that
2: Dave the
1: seventy nine
2: but um, I don't know why,
0: yeah,
1: I, it's not ringing it's not ringing a bell for me for some reason. I, I mean did I I'm not sure if I participated
0: you, in that one you might uh, not have been on that, but I know I think midnight yeah. Corey and Terror Toby um reviewed it, but, but this one I think it I think it hit theaters or video in March of nineteen eighty. But yeah, it might be on the borderline. So oh, sorry that's about correct.
2: that. Well yeah, it was released in the US in eighty, which is your um, measuring stick. But it actually premiered before that in France in seventy
0: nine. Okay, gotcha. All right. So uh, Greg, what do you got next? What's another 1981? Wow.
3: They're so... Oh, oh, oh. Uh, should I throw <laughs> out a heavy hitter or should I go low? Let's go... Um, <laughs> how about how about this one now? And this is one of those movies that we just reviewed on uh, one of our episodes recently. And uh, it was from 1980. It's an Italian horror film called Macabre. Ooh, uh, nice. Or Macabre, uh, if you want to. Oh. So look None other than Liberto Baba, who I absolutely love. Thought he was a really talented director and, um, you know, the son of Mario uh, Baba. But this one had one of those unique uh, kind of jalo. I put this in a jalo subgenre more than a slasher, but yet it is a slasher esque. Um, and who could never, have, has, let me pass it. Have all, any of y'all seen it or know about it?
1: Have no, I'm, That's not I'm
2: aware of it but I have not seen it it's on my um on my Amazon Prime queue right now.
4: Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. How about you, Jay? I have not seen it, sir. Okay. Now this one's one of those movies that was unique to me. Uh follows the story of of this woman uh who's crazy. I mean, she's married <laughs> and then she's having an affair with a dude and and these kid, you know, she's got this maniacal daughter in there that's like the spawn of Satan to me, you know. <laughs> she's always trying to get things in trouble. But uh, son dies, kind of deal spoiler. And then some weird things take place. But uh, it's got a little bit of... Um, necrophilia in it. it's it got some weird things going on but um <laughs> I, I thought it was a really good film dude I, I really enjoyed it not a lot of gore or anything like you typically get with slashers it does have a little bit of boobies in it and stuff but but i think it's well worth a watch man i enjoyed macabre
0: all right thank cool. you what do you say dr shock what's another 1981?
1: One? i'm looking at several here but i think i'll go i gotta do it i gotta go with maniac nice <laughs> 1980 um gruesome yeah it's it's um it is it's exactly right it's a very it's a very gruesome movie this one is not a mystery at all i mean you know exactly who the who the killer is in this one from start to finish uh but there's such a such a grittiness to it um and a lot of it has to do with um with the lead actor i can never remember his name it's joe spinell
0: spinell, spinell.
1: that's it joe spinell mm mm-hmm. Um, who was a big force behind this movie. And, yeah, he really just, uh, the way he portrays this character, mm-hmm. you know, um, he, he knocks it out of the park. He was just tremendous. Um, and uh, Tom Savini had gotten involved with this one with the gore. This is one I think that Gene Siskel walked out on. And I think it was at the scene that actually Tom Savini makes a cameo in. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go too deep into what happens there, <laughs> but at that moment, Gene Siskel, I guess at that point, he's like, "Okay, I've had enough." And he got up and he walked out of the walked out of the theater. Um, but, but it's it really is so good. And I, the scene I always go back to is the one that takes place in that bathroom. I don't know if it's a subway station or what, but it's a, it takes place in a bathroom, and just the tension
4: mm-hmm. that
1: builds up in this movie, yeah. even though you figure you know what's going to happen. It's still so incredibly tense,
4: um, <laughs> yeah. you know,
1: and, it, and it's just such a gritty New York sort of feel. A lot of these slasher movies, they don't, you know, they're not happening on Wall Street or anything. They're going into like the, the dirty areas of New York. Right. Um, and that's where a lot of maniac takes place, definitely. And it even, it even led to what I think is a, is a pretty solid remake, um, you know, in, uh, what was that,
0: 2013?
1: Uh, But still the original is it's it's one of my 10 favorite uh, slasher films. And
0: and I believe I learned from Greg Amortis himself when he covered Mm -hmm. this in his slash from the stash. Didn't you say, uh, Greg, that this was really a lot of uh, guerrilla filmmaking? They didn't have permits or anything. So they had to shoot stuff and then get going. And in the famous shotgun scene, they had to shoot that and run. Is that right? Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Tom Savini, there again, I mean, doing the special effects, he really knocked it out of the park with this one. Just that scene alone, you talk about the shotgun. But, yeah, there was – if I recall now, this is going off memory, uh, I believe the police was called during the shotgun scene. I'm thinking – uh, but, yeah, this this is a lot of guerrilla warfare kind of shooting, man. <laughs> and uh, you're talking on the streets, basically 42nd Street, man. This is the slum of the slums. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you basically took a camera, you shot, and you went. And uh, great, great filmmaking right here. William Lustig, man, I'm telling you, amazing. Uh, God, this is such a freaking amazing film. It, yeah, yeah.
0: And it's cool to me that uh, Joe Spinell he actually co-wrote this along with starring yep. in it, and that's kind of cool. And and I just love the concept of you know his serial killer. Um, he you know he collects the women's scalps as trophies, mm-hmm. and that's super freaky. But um, just real quick, the, the the
1: the Blu-ray for this that came out is is excellent. I want to say it's yes. from Blue Underground. Mm-hmm. Um, they put out an excellent Blu-ray for this. It has on there a one-hour. Cable access show that that William Lustig was on. He was being interviewed. You know, I remember those old cable access shows from the early '80s, where it's like in black and white, the phones aren't working, uh, the sounds barely audible. Uh, um, it's it just uh, that sort of took me back. Um, and it even had news news reports from various cities of protests that came out against this movie <laughs> um, because of it, what happened. You know, obviously the, the 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 feminist groups came out against this movie, and uh, mm-hmm. you know you can sort of see why. Um, but probably the most interesting thing I learned is in a documentary about Joe Spinell is he w- he received the second most money from The Godfather. The only one who was paid more for The Godfather was Marlon Brando and it is because Joe Spinell oh, wow. went to went to Francis Ford Coppola and said I'd like to learn how to make movies. So he let him the Francis Ford Coppola let Joe Spinell sign on as a grip one day. And and as, you know, an assistant to the assistant one day. Every day, Joe Spinell signed on. By the time he was done, he got huge residual checks from the Godfather. And, and in later years, when things were lean for him and he wasn't working as much, there was always a Godfather residual check around the corner to carry him through.
0: <laughs> that's neat. Yeah, that's hilarious. I had never heard that story. But that's that's cool. really
1: pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And in this movie, too. I mean, if you have a... If you're creeped out by mannequins, I mean, this movie helps, oh, yeah. right? I mean, because it'll yes. stick with you. But uh, Jason Dragon had this in his top 20. He had it at number 14, which Jason, I guess that cracks me up, Mr. Dragon, because um, he had Better Watch Out at number like five or something. And he has this at 14. I love you. I love oh. people who do that. But he says, filthy fun that only Joe Spinell can wash away. The remake is highly amusing. And then our buddy uh, Joe Brunette, he had this at his number five. Yeah,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I can go away with both of those. I, I totally wouldn't argue with either. I, I wouldn't. But number five would be more my line than twenty. But yeah
0: that's that's right we you, this is a horror podcast huh greg so we gotta rib people a little bit right or it wouldn't be a horror podcast right? okay
3: we gotta rib them but i'm telling you dragon's on right now oh. uh he's 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 at least getting the list right he, he, i'll give him
0: that yeah he's bringing it he always does yeah. actually
3: bringing it to the table baby bring it
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay
0: so was that you uh doc the picked maniac yes okay uh wolfman what do you got 1980.
4: Hmm.
2: Good question. Um, I almost said uh, stage fright, even though Ooh. Jason said it was a, a giallo. And then I realized this is a totally different stage fright than I was thinking of that. That stage Fright's like 87, 88. Correct. Mm. This is a, a different stage fright. Um, so I'm going to have to go with, well, I'm going to say dress to kill. Now, it's not a Ooh. traditionally a horror yeah. film, and it's right. also not um, – it's probably also closer to a giallo, mm-hmm. but, but I love it. Uh, oh, Brian, yeah. Brian De Palma oh. film. Um, it's it's definitely uh, – yeah. It's definitely kind of coming from the horror world, in my opinion.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Michael Caine's in it. Angie Dickinson's in it. Nancy Allen's in it. It's just mm-hmm. got Dennis Franz, who was in a lot of uh, De Palma stuff. And, um, I just love this movie. It's a, it's a great – Little murder mystery and um and it kind of falls right into that giallo um, slasher horror camp for me as well as well I won't get ahead of myself, but I think well. De Palma did a few films like this you know, around this time period, um he did another one the following year, and one a few years later that I feel like he was really heavily riffing on Hitchcock and giallo's and um, I really loved seeing his development
1: as a filmmaker. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even his early, like, Sisters. Like, that oh, early yeah. movie with Sisters is, is mm-hmm. really something.
3: Well, yeah. they just released, uh, well, it's been out a few years, but Arrow Video done an amazing Blu-ray release of this movie, man. And, oh, my God, such a good movie, man. Great pick, yeah. brother. I love this movie so much. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, um, absolutely. Yeah, and, and for the listeners out there, I'm sure most of our listeners are cinephiles, so they'll be familiar with the Palma. But if you're not, maybe one of his most famous would be like Scarface or The Untouchables, mm. right? But um, yeah, and, and it, well,
2: for horror fans, it would be Carrie, probably right. Yeah, that's Carrie true. Would be the one.
0: That's true. But uh, Jason Dragon also had this in his top twenty. He gave it his number. Thirteen spot, and he said, Ooh. "Without a doubt, the most beautiful looking slasher film ever made." That's what he said. You
2: know what, guys? I, you know, we talked about giving some stuff away. This might be one I'd be willing to give away on the next episode because I had just bought the DVD, like, or the Blu-ray, and then the Criterion Blu-ray came out like a week after I bought the other Blu-ray.
5: <laughs> so, oh. so I've got
2: two Blu-rays of Dress to Kill* right now. I'd be, I might be willing to nice. play one of those with for the listeners. So okay, we'll- nice. That will be on our uh, giveaways next episode. I guess we'll
0: oh, see. We'll all see. right, a, that's Very a big cool. tease right there. Yeah. <clears throat> we also had a comment on this one from uh, Jonathan Watkins. He had it in his top ten. In fact, it was his number one slasher. And he said, uh, "Debatable is a slasher, but it hits a lot of the right notes." My favorite De Palma film, not called The Untouchables. Fun side note: Nancy oh. Allen was one of my first crushes. Aww.
1: Oh. Hard not to crush on that girl. I can see why her and PJ Souls, I think we're oh, to a,
3: to them. A I mark. love PJ Souls. Oh, my God. <laughs>
1: if I could be my
3: age now, then I might have had a shot with PJ or Jamie Lee or one of them. I would
4: have. I would
3: have. ho, you know, I'd been like, hey. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I literally kissed Jamie before I go to bed every night anyway. So it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is.
0: Oh, uh, it cracks me up. Okay, so I think um, that was uh, Wolfman picked that one. How about another little Christmas one? I don't really have any uh, comments on this. It's called To All, A Good Night from 1980, directed by David Hess. A group of teenagers mm. at a party find themselves being stalked by a maniacal killer in a Santa Claus costume. That's how it all starts. Yeah. And, uh... It goes from there. So anybody familiar with that one? I have not seen it. I
2: have no. not seen it either. Well, we should no. we should cover that this year at Christmas. Yeah, you
4: we
3: should. That's right. If it's it's a hard actually. one now, guys. It's a hard one to get a hold of. But yeah, David has done a really good job of that one. Greg burst in Tell our us bubble a little
2: about it. Greg, come on, you don't don't leave us hanging here.
3: No, no, you're yeah. going to review that, and I. Ain't, okay. Ain't all good, right.
2: All right. All right. <laughs> no,
3: I, I'm just telling you to watch it. It's it's a really really good flick. Okay. What do you got,
0: Greg Mortis? 1980.
3: Uh, Let's go with a little bitty film called Schizoid. (laughs) And uh, this is one of those guys that really went under my radar. I I don't know how or why, but it did until I got a um, Scream Factory, or it might have been Shout Factory. Shout Factory or Scream Factory, one of them had like a, um, I don't know what you call them, like one of them two, four pack or whatever it was. And I picked this one up, and I was blown away when I watched it. I was like, holy crap, where have you been all my life? This <laughs> one was really, really cool. David Paulson, uh directed it, but it has Klaus Kinski in it. Yes. And as uh, soon as I saw Klaus Kinski, I was like, oh, this is going to be uh-huh. amazing. And Austin. dude, it did not, yes, it did not disappoint, man. I mean, IMDb gave the thing a five, and I'm like, you have lost your freaking mind. <laughs> this movie is so good. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, Schizoid, man, is such a great film. Hard to pronounce, but very, very, very good film. <laughs> Schizoid, <laughs> huh? That's I'm picking great.
1: that up right now, Dave. That's it's got Christopher
3: <laughs> Lloyd in it as well, by the oh, way. That's, wow. That's pretty cool.
1: So it's, it's got Klaus Kinski and Reverend Jim. Yes. Wow.
3: <laughs> Dude, it delivers on so many avenues, man. And Klaus is him. He's he's creepy. He's
1: Klaus is Klaus is <sighs> one of those guys who is just, you know, his persona off screen. He is as pardon my French batshit crazy as he is when he's on screen. <laughs> right. He you is not- insane. Yes, If you ever saw My Best Fiend, the Warner Herzog documentary, you'll see just how crazy um, Klaus Kinski was. There's this whole scene where he is screaming like a madman at at the producer when they're doing Fitzcarraldo. Screaming like a madman at the producer. Almost ready to kill him. And you could pick up as they're talking that he's talking about the catering.
0: Right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh. This is definitely one of his, I thought, one of his really really which all his films are are good but i'm telling you this one oh wow man i love this film
0: nice excellent thanks for bringing that so i hope that as the listeners are uh, hearing this episode i know they got a lot of these already on their list but i hope people are writing these down and uh, you have a new watch list that would actually pump me up if people put in the comments what you've added to your watch list what you're going to be seeing next uh, um, after hearing these on this episode, so thanks, Greg, for bringing that to yeah. the table.
2: I've also made a pretty lengthy list that I'm editing because it had some mistakes on it as we go, and I'm adding all the movies that I'm hearing from you guys that weren't on there. So I'll post those in the comments or the show notes too, and so everything will be in there that we talked about. Excellent. Nice.
0: Thank you. Okay, Doctor Shock, what's your next 1980 pick?
1: All oh, right, from 1980. First off, I think we should we should mention just in case anybody's a new listener, we know Friday the 13th was released in 1980. <laughs> the reason we're not addressing it is because we did a whole franchise review of Friday the 13th. Um, well, we,
0: you know you're welcome though. I mean, we can, we could talk about it a little bit cause I do well, have some listener like, comments.
1: Oh, okay. I mean, if you want to throw those I it's not my pick, but if you wanted to, uh, I have a different one I was going to go with, but if you want to throw
0: in the comments now, it would be a good place for it. All right. So yeah, just real quick then. So, uh, Friday the 13th, 1980, Dr. Shock was exactly right. We've covered it in depth, but I just want to point out a couple of things. It, it has a Metacritic score right now of 35, which is a crime, I think. And, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah. Jason Dragon had it in his top 20 at number six, he said, Friday the 13th, I'll stick mainly with the original on this series, but I do love two, three, four, six, and seven. And then <laughs> Jonathan, Watch. Okay. Like, Jonathan Watkins has it in his top 10 at number eight. And he says, in the minority, I feel, but the original is my favorite of the series. And uh, Jonathan, I kind of lean toward that way too. I um, also love two and three, but man, I'm with you. And Joe, <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite, Greg? Which one of is your favorite? Oh, number
3: three, number three, yes. Okay. Uh, to me, I mean, that's where... Jason became Jason. That's the hockey mask. That's the right. whole. And Richard Brooker, I thought, was amazing as Jason Voorhees, man. And yes, I just, yeah. I love that one. It's, it's a cheese factor, the 3D, the whole gimmick. You know, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I, I, I ate all that crap up, man. I was eating it for breakfast. Like,
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, well Joe Brunette ha- has this as his number one. So great job, Joe. Makes me very yeah, happy. Yeah. And then, um, cool. Yes, Josh.
2: Well, I was in, I was thought you were done. I'm sorry.
0: And then I was just gonna say from Greg, and then uh, this is a different Greg. Greg from Toledo, I believe, said uh, so many to choose from, and so many still to watch. But I I have many marathons of films, and he talked about like how he watches Halloween one, two, and then H two O, and and you know films yeah. that complement yeah. each other. And he says the 80s are filled with many slashers, but the undisputed king of slashers for the 80s he says it's Jason Voorhees and um. so anyway just leave it at that that's what Greg it, it said it is
2: disputed Greg just saying no buddy
0: <laughs> uh
3: oh <Uh-oh. laughs> I, I will say this I will say this from one Greg to another I love you man um,
5: I, I can't <laughs> yeah.
3: no I can't fault anybody for that because Jason Voorhees and Friday 13th series is so close to Halloween for me I'm talking neck to neck yeah. As a series, as a whole, I, I still lean toward Halloween, but I can't take it away from Friday 13 because one was really, really good. Two was really, really good. Three was amazing. Four was really good. Six was completely awesome and you go through them all i mean there's so many good ones in there and halloween had some busts i mean not all of them were good films so you know i I, i'm not going to say hey man you're crazy no they're neck and neck i love jason almost as much as i do michael almost
2: there, okay. There's no need for us to go all uh, Red Sox, Yankees, you know, no, when it comes uh, to our, you know, horror no. movies. No, DC versus Marvel. We can we can like <laughs> Friday the 13th and Halloween, too. So
3: I have, yeah, just, a, exactly. I have just as much Jason Voorhees merchandise as I have Michael Myers. So there you go. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
2: Um, I was just going to say, we did cover this, as you guys mentioned. Uh, we did six full episodes on the Friday the 13th franchise, and Greg Amortis was with us on some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, And we did – that started on episode 42 of Horror Movie Podcast, and you can find that in the links on the sidebar at horrormoviepodcast.com.
0: Okay, thank you. All right, Dr. Sharp, what's your pick then,
1: 1980? Okay, and just real quick for me, Friday the 13th is my third favorite uh, uh, slasher film of all time. Excellent. The first one. Anyway, I was going to go with um, He Knows You're Alone, Mm -hmm. 1980. Nice. it is about a a killer stalking uh brides new uh women who are ready to walk down the aisle um it's not now we do it, it's again this is not one that's a um a mystery as much because we know who the killer is early on we know who he kills um and you know and we know why he does what he does um but this is it, it's I, it's been a long time since I reviewed this on the blog. It was my num- movie number 243. So it's going back a ways. It's, it's over five years since I've seen this movie. Um, but I do also remember that it has Tom Hanks in it. It's Tom Hanks' big screen debut. And Tom Hanks' character, I don't know. We'll just say a quick, quick little spoiler here. Uh, if you don't, you know, don't want to hear you can go ahead about 25 seconds. Tom Hanks' character was supposed to die but everybody liked him so much that they decided to cut that scene out and let him live.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Dang peer pressure.
2: (laughs) I I was turned on to this film by uh, Allison with a Y, one of our listeners. She posted this on, a link to this whole movie, actually, in our Mm comment section when we were doing the Scream franchise, I believe, and I think she was saying that this open. I could be getting this all wrong, but I think she said that this opening scene of this film was one of the big inspirations for the Scream Two opening. Yes, which absolutely. I can see.
1: Yep, so, that yeah. is exactly right. Yep.
3: No, you know, Allison with a Y too. is this uh,
1: Halloween mom. No, that's a different yes. that's Allison with an I. Oh, that's Allison with an I. You're right. That's Allison with an I. I'm okay. sorry, Allison
3: with Come on, I. Greg, get it right. I'm
1: oh, sorry. I'm just
3: Allison I with an I, Halloween mom. I love her, but oh Allison, what are we I, gonna,
1: gonna do if what are we gonna do if a third Allison shows up?
3: Oh, I don't know, we're in big trouble. <laughs> Hopefully Cage
2: it'll be like match. Allison with one L or something like that. Yeah, yeah. right.
3: Well Allison with a Y, Greg and Morta says, What's up? <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
0: That's right. Um, Jason Dragon also had this on his list. He was representing tonight. He had it in his top 20. He get it. Number four. And he says. I think we've
1: hit just about all 20 of his top 20. uh,
0: Seriously, right? He says, reveals its killer right away, but engages you enough to keep interest. Great music score. So he loves the score on that. And then Jonathan Watkins also had this in his top 10 at number Mm. seven. He says, really fun, underseen slasher, one of the best Halloween ripoff homages. And bonus points for the first appearance by Tom Hanks. Yep. Yep. There you go. There you have it. Okay, so what do you got, Wolfman Josh, for
1: 1980?
2: Oh, man. Um, I'm running close to dry here other than the one that Greg's going to feature review. So I'm going to go with New Year's Evil
4: yes uh that
2: was not a. I don't love this movie i'll be honest um i like the punk rockers in it but they're not really playing <laughs> punk rock music too much in this movie but the um,
3: soundtrack's amazing though brother
2: oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a cool it's a cool concept but it really does not work that well um basically that um someone's gonna get killed as new year's eve is being celebrated throughout the different time zones and mm-hmm. so that's the the basic premise uh, that you're dealing with here is that people are dying as the clock ticks toward midnight in different locations. And it's pretty fun. Uh, I, did we review this or not? I feel like we I thought we had, but I couldn't find where that review would be. Jay, Do you remember mm. if we talked about it?
0: I, I, I think we considered or planned to review it. And then for whatever reason, we didn't end up doing it.
2: All right, well, then um, I won't talk about it too much, and maybe we'll talk about it at uh, a future date.
0: Yeah, in a couple months, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, you want to hear something funny? Jason Dragon had this in his top 20, <laughs> number, <laughs> number 17. <laughs> not,
1: how, how big is this top 20? It, it, like? it,
0: it genuinely, I, I saw it. It really is just 20 picks. But um, <laughs> And
1: is it just as if it's all from the year 1980, I'm guessing?
0: Well, this is, yeah, so far, these are all 1980 picks, Jason Dragon. And he says... He calls this
2: top for each year,
0: guys. <laughs> he, uh, he calls this the best New Year's Eve horror film, and he said, "Um, yeah, probably the only one, but the only
3: one, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. darn good."
0: And and really, there need to be more New Year's Eve horror films. Let's be absolutely. honest, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, very good. So that that was uh, Joshua, and now, um, well, I'm not gonna step on uh, Farmer Vincent for Greg. I'm going to leave that to him because <laughs> I wouldn't dare. I don't want to step on uh, the train either with Jody. Uh, let me see here. Um, I mean, Jamie. Sorry. Let me see here. Let me get I'll down to... You. Okay, how about this one? How about this one, guys? <laughs> this is called... Uh, and I'm terrible with pronouncing this, so correct me. Anthropophagus? <laughs> Anthropophagus. Anthropo- 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 a- anthropo- anthropo- yes yeah say it again I, greg
3: i call it anthropophagus but yeah. it's probably I, you're talking to greg Mortis. i can't talk i'm a zombie but yeah <laughs> 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 Yeah.
0: however that's pronounced um it's uh directed by joe DiMaggio, and he and it's um a group of tourists become stranded on an uninhabited island where they are stalked by an insane violent and grotesque killer that slaughtered the town's former residents. I have not seen it. Have you guys seen this?
3: No. It's on my must watch. I know they've uh, released it recently. I want to say on Blu-ray or it may be DVD. This was one of those um kind of basement movies, man, that I've really wanted to see but I've not seen it.
2: Okay. This is streaming on Amazon too if you can't track down the Blu-ray or whatever.
3: Nice. Yeah, I gotcha. actually do. Matter of fact, I have this on DVD, so I've got to watch this. I just picked this up uh, at a pawn shop somewhere recently. So yeah, <laughs> I do have. I do need to watch it.
0: <laughs> Greg's like, I got to this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> perfect. All right, then. So that that was that one, and uh, let's hear what you got, uh, Greg Amortis. Well, since you've already said one of
3: them, I've got to throw it out, man. It's like one of my all-time favorite. Not just slasher, but movies all time. Of course, Farmer Vincent and Motel Hell. <laughs> oh, love this movie so much. If you've not heard me talk about this, you've not known Greg Mortis very long, because I talk about it a lot. <laughs> this is like, this is one of my guilty pleasures. Is it a a great movie? It's cheese out the yin yang you know but it's a 10 for me this movie is like perfect for me kevin connor is the director man and and you got rory calhoun as farmer vincent and and just the cast was so fun and wolfman i mean come on wolfman josh you got wolfman jack in this. wolfman jackson there yeah absolutely you got the perverted <laughs> reference dude of all people i play <laughs> <like> jay yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's what i do Gra- There's Greg- so many great quotes <laughs> in this movie that just keeps you going. I mean, it's one liners after another. And oh, my God.
0: Say the line. <laughs> say the line from this. I, I love hearing you say it.
3: No pressure whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can't even remember it now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Nothing. <said. laughs> wait, wait, wait. I got to pull this up because I won't misquote it. And I ain't misquoting this damn thing. I, I say this all the damn time, too. <laughs> it. It takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent's fritters. Yes. And it's just, man, this movie is such a good feel. If I'm in a bad mood, I can put this movie in. If I'm <laughs> in a good mood, i put this movie in. If I'm bored, i put this movie in. This movie just always makes me feel good and warm and fuzzy all inside. I've got them tattooed all over my body. I mean, I just I love this movie so much that, um, I mean, I literally have it. DVD, Blu-ray, VHS—I've I've got film sales of this movie uh, for crying out loud! Uh, that a good buddy of mine in the UK sent me. I mean, this movie—the poster art, everything about it just reeks beauty to me. Nina Axelrod, Penthouse, uh, Pent-up Queen uh, in this movie in her glory. Oh my God, just such a good movie. Paul Linke—I mean, as Bruce the the brother. Oh my God, he was so good. But the but. I'm telling you, Ida Smith, played by Nancy Parsons, between her and Rory Calhoun, those two, man, just killed this movie. It was awesome. Love it. Love it, Jay. I could talk about this movie all freaking night.
0: I love it. <laughs> I'm with you. And you know what? I'm so shocked that uh, the listeners that submitted some, some picks you know, for their favorites that this we didn't get any on this. So if people haven't seen Motel Hell, this is a must-see Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Greg Morris, you, I have to thank you. You're the reason that I ended up seeing it because I, I wasn't familiar with it until mm-hmm. I heard it in your slash from the stash and I watched it in there. Um, if you go to Greg Morris's Twitter page, which you could find at, what is it, Greg? Gregg Mortis, there it is. That's right. If you go there, he's got a great image from this movie. It's one of my favorites because, like, yeah. you know, anytime, anytime you have a movie, <laughs> there's another one more recent that has this, but like with a killer, with a wearing a pig head. Yes, it's it's just incredible to me. And there's another part. It's just really disturbing in this. I mean, there are some th- haunting things. Even though it is silly and cheesy, I think oh, the, yeah. there, there are some genuinely scary concepts in this, like sounds, like kind of like, <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I'm that's talking what, about.
1: That's what gets you more than anything is that, that gurgling. Yeah. You know?
0: yeah. I mean... <laughs> yeah, you did it really well. Like that kind of stuff freaks me yeah. out about this movie. It's it is a and one must of those, see. One
1: of those. One of those is John Ratzenberger.
0: Yes, Mr. Nice. Cliff
1: from Cheers was one of the uh, one yes. of the guys they played played in that garden. <laughs> yes,
3: <laughs> that is great. such a such a good movie. It was one of those Jay that that went out of print, and you could only get it on a two pack. You basically got a movie called Deranged in Motel Hell. It was one of those midnight movie release uh, two-pack. But thankfully, to the gods above and below and the devil horns to the sky, uh, Scream Factory released it on uh, Blu-ray, which is amazing. I mean, it's freaking phenomenal. Uh, also, Arrow Video did a UK release of it. And, oh, my God, dude, it's it's such a must-on. Must on.
0: I couldn't agree more. That That is a must. And, in fact... I own it. And I don't own. Yeah. yeah, and I don't own a lot of movies. But guess where I got it? Where'd Z, you get it? Zia Records, Las Vegas, Zia. Nevada. Ooh, That's nice. right. Okay. Nice. So uh, thank you, Greg Amortis. That was an excellent right. pick. What do you got, uh, Dr. Shock, for 1980?
1: Okay, let's go with Mother's Day. Mm. <laughs> Directed by Charles Kaufman, the brother of Lloyd Kaufman of Troma.
0: Mm-hmm. I
4: think
1: this is, among other things,. Don't, it's the only trauma movie that Bill Shetty has ever said anything nice about. I think it's like the only <laughs> one he actually likes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, uh, I guess, officially a Troma movie. It's also yes. Eli Roth's, one, one of Eli Roth's favorite horror films. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really about two brothers who um, they, they kidnap. They live out in the middle of the woods. They kidnap these three women. Um, and uh, they have a, this sort of domineering mother, and they... Just uh, are brutalizing these women until the women uh, can can escape and uh, get their revenge. Yes.
4: Uh,
1: and it is a, it is a it is a very it's a brutal movie. And this is another mm-hmm. one. Richard Roger Ebert asked the question, "Why would anyone of any age want to see this movie?" And he put that right <laughs> in his review of this film. Um, and it is crazy, uh, but but it is good. I really do enjoy it. And, and this is another bit of trivia on this film. They the part of it takes place in this house out in the middle of the woods and they found this old remote house. And when they went in to check out this house, they found the original owner had been murdered and his body was still in there.
0: Wow. And, and that's so, real life. You're talking.
1: That's real life. That's real.
0: Wow. Life.
1: Yes.
3: yes. And but, they, do-
1: but they still shot the movie there anyway.
3: Yeah, and you do know that this was filmed at the exact time that the original Friday 13th was filmed, right across across the the road. Yes.
1: Right, across, right across the
3: lake, I thought, yeah, right. Oh, that's mm-hmm. cool. Simultaneously, yeah. Friday thirteenth filming in the woods, and guess what? Mother's Day's filming in the woods right across. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Stone throw away, baby. <laughs> and a couple of things to point out to this, like I'll, I'll never forget this for a couple of reasons. Number one, I was on a, a business trip. I was in Arizona, and I just had some time in the hotel, and that was when I first watched it. And it did kind of creep me out, even though it's trauma, you know. But, like, what mm-hmm. I what I love about this is – um. When you get, first of all, the brutalizing of the women, mm-hmm. that that is like at the request of their mother. They're instructed yeah, to do that. And, yeah, she's, she's watched, watching. Yeah, she's watching. She's watching. So that that's very um, upsetting and disturbing. I mean, think of the most disturbing kind of concepts in a horror film, and that's one. And then the other thing is... What I, oh man, I wish so bad, like the very last moment, like the way this ends and it ends on a freeze frame, which is kind of interesting if I recall correctly, either that or I paused it, but I think it ends on a freeze frame. And um, I, I wish there was more of that because there's a mm. setup and a payoff and the payoffs at the very end, it's very brief, but man, that payoff for whatever reason, maybe people think it's dumb, it creeps me out (laughs) big time and you know what i'm talking about greg it's it's crazy i do i love this movie me too me too good stuff that was a great pick okay thanks dave and uh what do you got wolfman for 1980
2: well um i believe it was jason dragon earlier who said the very best new year's eve horror movie was new year's evil but I'm going to come back at him hard. Oh, terror it? train. Yes. The Scream Queen, Jamie Lee Curtis. There you go.
4: <gasps> yep. Yes. Uh,
2: I love this movie. This is one of my all time favorites. And it's a little mm-hmm. bit silly, like a lot of these movies we talked about. It's got the cheese factor going for it. Mm-hmm. But man, I just, there's something about this movie that I just cannot get enough of. Um, yep. Basically, what you've got here is these college kids are taking a train ride for their their big new year's eve costume party and there's a killer on the train and it has to do with like a lot of these movies some prank gone wrong you know we see that in several of these 80s slasher movies i don't know why that was such a big thing at the time but for whatever reason (laughs) uh that was there were a lot of pranks happening in the early 80s and and I guess the big fear was that they would go wrong <laughs> and, and, and injure someone. But one of the craziest things about this, besides just, just being this very unique uh, situation where it's set on a train, which I just, I love that aspect of it yeah. is you've got the magician, David Copperfield very early in his career. Appears in this. <laughs> well, that's a magician. right. Yep. Yep. And, and it actually isn't just like a cameo where it actually ends up playing a significant role in the movie. Yeah, And, I love that aspect.
3: Yes. Of well, and the claustrophobia of this movie, because you are on an enclosed train and there's nowhere to go, you know, with a killer that you don't know who the killer is. Is it David Copperfield? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, this character or that character? And I mean, it, it just, it worked in all avenues. I, I totally agree with you, jo- uh, Josh. It's, it's a really, really, really amazing film.
2: It's a fun one. Yeah. I mean, yes. We we covered this in depth on, Episode 12 of Horror Movie Podcast, which I have no recollection of.
0: But, um, <laughs> I remember it.
2: The episode was called Terrible Trains, Organ Theft, and Our Top 5 Scariest Horror Movies. So that sounds like a good a good listen. Wait, was I on there?
4: Uh, yeah. Uh,
2: yes, you were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the one where you and Jay reviewed All Hallows'
1: Eve was on that Ooh,
4: episode right with and art, talked oh,
1: about okay. Cat art the clown and i think we i think we broke it up because i don't remember i don't think i was there for the terror troops dis- uh for the terror troop terror train this <laughs> uh discussion um yeah because i was i wasn't remembering that either
2: yeah this was i feel like this is one of those crazy cobbled together episodes where i was like i know there was one episode where you guys talked about all hallows eve where i was like walking around the boardwalk in Santa Cruz or something while we were recording It yes. was on the yeah. cell phone. Like, I love that. It was one of those weird episodes.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. So that's terror train. And then what I got from 1980 here is one called don't answer the phone. Did I already talk about that?
1: Oh yes. That was actually looking at maybe doing that one. I, I, I don't think you didn't mention it. <laughs> okay. Right, anyway.
0: All right. Well, some of these have similar titles, but
1: well, there's um, a lot of don't, you know, they even made that's, that's part of the whole, uh, the grindhouse, Joe don't. trailer that Edgar Wright did. Don't, yes. don't, don't. Right. A lot of these movies back then had
0: don't in the title. That's exactly right. So, um, anyway, a couple things here. So, this is about a, a deeply disturbed Vietnam veteran who terrorizes the young women of LA. D-
1: deeply disturbed. <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: And, um, and taunts a radio psychologist with descriptions of his grisly crimes. This is directed by Robert Hammer. And Jason Dragon had this as an honorable mention, and he oh. said it reminds him of a lesser maniac, but still definitely worth the watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I and
1: that's think, exactly what it is, yeah. That's exactly what it is.
0: And it's kind of cool, too, because this was released on, uh, I guess, Leap Day of 1980. So and, oh, wow. And that's a little more than uh, two months before the release of the original Friday the 13th. And so yes. um, that, that's kind of cool. And uh, let me see if there's anything else I have in my notes about this one because I actually wrote about this one before. Um, anyway, I, th- I think it's definitely worth your time. And what, yeah. what do you say, Doctor Shock?
1: Yeah, I think so too. Uh, it's not per- perfect. Mm-hmm. I know it gets into like uh, it gets deep into um, uh, like sort of a police procedural type thing. Uh, but man, that the, the the star of this movie it does such a good job of of bringing this this sort of psychopath to life. And and that's what you really remember about this
0: film. Yes, absolutely. And that, and
1: of course, if you're younger, a lot of the nudity in it too. There's this <laughs> the nudity in it as well. But it's really that guy.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Lots of nudity, but it's really about that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That was hilarious. <laughs>
0: So, Greg and Morris, mm-hmm. before we move into your feature review from 1980, I know you got at least one more 1980, and we should probably tell the listeners, we understand that this episode is not exhaustive, but we've already been gone like an hour and a half, and we've only got one year covered, <laughs> so I have no idea how, how insane and long this show's going to be. <laughs> I'm really getting scared. But anyways, we can't cover everything, obviously. So I hope people mm-hmm. can cut us a little slack. But you wanted to throw something out real quick, Greg. What was it?
3: Yeah, uh, a film. Th- this is one of those films that is very, very unnoticeable, man. It really has gotten hidden. But it's a really, I think, a, a good golden nugget in there in his house on the edge of the park. Um, not a perfect film, but uh, Ruggero Diado, Uh, directed this film, but it starred David Hess. And if you know David Hess, man, God, God, I miss that dude so freaking much. But he was in a lot of these style films, and he always seemed to play that same character, this mean, uh, psychopath kind of movie. And this is one of those style movies where himself and a couple other individuals break into this home and terrorize these people. And it's just a really, really, I think, good film it's not great but really good that i think listeners should definitely put on their radar to watch um it's just got a lot of suspense david has killing it as his character kind of like you know um he kind of resurrects some of his older characters and it's just it's a really good film guys and gals uh definitely watch this one sometime in your your lifetime house on the edge of the park really good film
0: you got it. I didn't even know about that one. So thanks for mm-hmm. thanks for telling me. Yeah. I remember
1: I remember seeing a trailer for it, and it does look. Oh yeah, it, it looks like it, and it definitely has a. Con, it, it definitely has, like you said, the last house on the left sort of vibe. It's it
0: as well,
3: it's got so. that last house on the left. It's got the rape scenes going in it. So go into it knowing there is some uh, a rape scene in here that's pretty hard to watch. So if you don't like those things, uh, disclaimer: there is some rape in this one. So, uh, but Giovanni Lombardo Radici, who I absolutely Love um, is in this character role as well. Him and David Hess are kind of partners in this. It's is just a really good film, really did, good.
1: Did did David Hess have it in his contract that he had to rape somebody every movie because he <laughs> oh, did it? In this it was it was in a movie called Hitchhike where he raped somebody. I think uh,
3: I think
1: I think it was I think it was part of his negotiation.
3: It may have been. <laughs> I mean, weird. he just had that look about him. But a uh, super nice guy away from it. But yeah, he does it. He just had the look.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddies. I think that brings us here to Greg Amortis' feature review of The Boogeyman.
5: When you were a child, did they warn you about The Boogeyman? The Boogeyman. <laughs> He hurt bad children and did terrible things to their mommies. But you can't kill the Boogeyman. Now, the most terrifying nightmare of childhood returns. The Boogeyman.
3: The Boogeyman. I mean, what better name for a slasher flick than The Boogeyman? Michael Myers is, is known as the quote-unquote boogeyman or the shape. and But this movie, The Boogeyman, I can remember this one as a child. I was probably in the 10 to 12 era, something around in that age frame. And I remember seeing this at my uncle's house, man, and it just scared the crap out of me as a kid. I uh, just watched this just a couple – well. A little bit more than a couple hours ago now, but uh, just to refresh myself, but, uh, Uli Lamel directed this film, stars the, oh my goodness, maybe one of the most beautiful actresses in the world. I mean, she may be Susanna love, uh, God, such a gorgeous, gorgeous lady. John Carradine had a, a character role in this one. Uh, side note on that. John Carradine was basically brought in as a name, kind of like Halloween. John Carpenter brought in Donald Placence because of the name they did that with John Carradine. They did all of his, his parts basically in one day, uh, he plays a doctor in this one. Uh, but you got these two kids that are watching it, it, it Let me say this first. It kind of has a Halloween and exorcist um, theme to it. It does. And that's known by the critics saying that. And I totally agree. The opening sequence feels so much like Halloween. It's unbelievable. All the way down to a kid walking around with a butcher knife and the camera following the arm and the knife. Uh, But basically two kids standing outside watching their mom and a lover get ready to do their thing and and then it goes into some scenes there but this one's one of those guys that i kind of put on the cusp of not really being a slasher flick because it's a lot of supernatural uh more than it is a slasher uh so it's kind of on the cusp of either or but it's a really good film it's not perfect by any means and it does have a lot of faults but the musical score in this one feels so much like Halloween and exorcist kind of combined. It has the, uh, feel of, of John Carpenter's theme going on, but it has exorcist kind of feel about it. You got a priest in this one. You got a lot of things going on, but, uh, basically this gives you the whole lore back in the day of, of, uh, the broken mirror, how seven years of bad luck and all this Mm -hmm. stuff, all the lore of how that, A mirror entraps all the evil that it's seen in its lifetime. They play heavy on this. Mirrors are used in this movie throughout. When you're watching it, you're going to see mirrors in almost every scene. They're either in a corner, they're the main focal point or whatever. Uh, But the mirror basically uh, is shattered. And when it's shattered, some of the pieces are put back together, but one doesn't get put back together. And it's through that one piece that it kind of possesses uh, individuals and machinery to kill. Um, really, really decent film, man. I, I, I've i owned this one. I've got the uh, two-pack, uh, which is basically Lamel. No, Lamel, listen to me. Uh, Uli Lamel's... Uh, he basically had two films back to back, the Devonsville Terror and this one as well. Devonsville Terror is a witchcraft kind of movie with Donald Plaisons and some others and Susanna Love. Um two great film or good films. I think Devonsville Terror may be a little bit better than this one in my eye, but still really good film to watch. And you know, Susanna Love looking absolutely gorgeous in this film. There's yeah. a very, very, very minute nipple shot in this one so very little nudity in it but you do get one little shot of a nipple side (laughs) kind of boob thing going on uh very little blood there is a a scissor to the throat scene that was pretty grotesque i'll give them that uh but yeah it it just think of halloween and exorcist kind of put together in a supernatural kind of way and you got the boogeyman
0: (laughs) you know i was gonna mention I, i noticed here Greg Mortis, that as you said, Susanna Love, she stars. I also see that she co-wrote the screenplay, which I didn't. know She was a screenwriter. So.
3: She really wasn't, but what, <laughs> basically, she was married in real life to Mr. Lamel. They were her husband and wife, okay. so they kind of collaborated on this one and Devonsville Terror. Um, also, one of the uh, main characters in this, the the brother. Of Suzanne's character in this one, Mm -hmm. Uh, they were Lacey and Jake. Well, they are not Jake, Lacey and Willie. They were real life brother and sister as well. So kind of a little side note there, but it's worth a watch, man. It really is. It's dated, but I enjoyed it. So what do you rate The Boogeyman from 1980? I can't remember what I've rated this in the past, but watching it today and the feel of it and everything, I'm going to give it a strong 7.5, and I say definitely get this film, or at least watch it. It's, it's one of those, it, Anchor Bay may still have it. I don't know. I haven't searched it out. I think it's out of print now with the double pack, but I do know that I think there's another release of this film somewhere where it's readily available. Don't spend 20 bucks on this one. If you can get it for like 10 or below, get it. If not, find it somewhere streaming. I'm sure it's out there somewhere.
0: Yeah, I see it's available. on um, If you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it on Amazon go. Prime. There you go. Definitely watch it then
3: if you have Prime.
0: Okay, sweet. But otherwise, if you can catch it for a decent price, you're saying buy it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I've watched this numerous times. But uh,
3: it, it's a good Halloween watch, even though it's not really a Halloween film. But yeah. Okay. And you get to see Susanna Love. She's beautiful, gorgeous, <laughs> absolutely stunning.
0: That's wonderful. There you go. We can't beat that. Well, thanks, Craig Amortis, for reviewing the Boogeyman. Yes, sir. And now we're ready to move into 1981. And I have I want to open this with a comment from Snowy Otter, AKA Brittany, who says something that actually was the, honestly what I was thinking as I was doing research for this episode and compiling this list. <laughs> She says, long time listener, Snowy Otter here. I wanted to note something in your 80s slasher episode. You have to mention the phenomenal year of 1981. That year was mm-hmm. the absolute height of 80s slashers. Notable releases such as The Burning, Happy Birthday to Me, The Prowler, mm-hmm. a personal favorite, Tom Savini, Gore Supreme, oh, Halloween 2, yeah. Nightmare, yes. Friday the 13th Part 2, My Bloody Valentine, and many more great horror non slashers. I just think you have to make mention of what a damn good year that was for slashers. <laughs> so, oh
1: yeah, I, could, I would agree. That's probably got to be the it's it's, it's got to be the, the best.
3: I would I'm looking I would over the list been. that I, I wrote up, and I will totally agree. 81 was outstanding.
0: Yeah, it is the pinnacle. It seems of the 80s slashers. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it off right here, and um, this is one that. And Greg Morris, make sure you hop in here on this. I'll just say it right now. It was a TV movie. It's called Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. <gasps> oh,
3: it's <laughs> tattooed on my elbow, folks. <laughs> well, let me
0: let me <laughs> get out of the way. Let me get out of the way. You you tell him about it, Greg. Go for it.
3: Bubba didn't do it.
0: <laughs> oh, this is such a good film. This is <laughs> This
3: has got the great. And I believe you'll agree with me on this, Josh. The great Charles Dernan. I loved oh. Charles Dernan. Yes, and, such a,
1: he, yeah. and you really, you really hate him in this movie.
3: Oh yes, <laughs> right. he plays such a a punk in the, I'm, I'm I'm keeping it PG on here. Thanks. If you want rated R, you go over to Land of the Creeds. But I'm keeping it PG. <laughs> <laughs> he's, such, he's such a punk in this movie. But uh, the acting in this one, it, it you got the whole. Um, this is where gossip get you in trouble kind of movie. This put the, the gossip kind of aspect into movies where they, they think that this individual is, is not quite who he is. And he's a little bit slow. I'll give him that. He's not, you know, you're to be, I don't want to be mean about it, but he's, he's slow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you got his character, And he's friends with a little girl, and it kind of has that Frankenstein feel to it kind of deal. But basically, this Charles Durning character, which is the postmaster, thinks that he's doing things with a girl that he shouldn't be doing. So he starts spreading these, you know, getting his gang together, so to speak. And, you know, no spoilers or anything like that, but some things happen. and, And then you get a scarecrow involved, and then you got some different things going and wow i just i love this movie um i I love this too the writer of this movie is jd feigelson and holy crap i've met this man he's like grandpa to me now i've met him multiple times and uh, jd is such an amazing amazing individual i've interviewed him a few times as well um when he made this film or wrote this film um he went into it believing that this was not going to be a great film, but he, he made it, and I think it, it exceeded way above what he thought it ever would be. It's got, to me, a great killer with a scarecrow. It's creepy. I love scarecrows. I absolutely love them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're freaking
0: scary. Yes. <laughs> uh, but th-
3: this just has such a good plot about it, man. I think the acting was was pretty pretty stout. Um I mean, you've got listen to the cast for crying out loud. You got Charles Durning, you've got Larry Drake, who we lost recently, uh, who plays Bubba. You got Lane Smith, you got Claude Earl Jones. I mean, the list goes on. It's it was like a who's who, and it came out on on TV, made for TV, but it was it was a pretty risky movie to go with, and I thought they they nailed it. I love this film. I love everything about it, man.
0: I I couldn't agree more. I love it too. Yeah actually yep. go ahead josh what yeah. are we gonna say
2: oh no i just think uh you know there are so many great movies with a monster or a killer with the uh sackcloth mm-hmm. for a for a mask mm-hmm. and uh this is just another one of those and i think it's funny just to note like at one point in the movie it kind of, kind of resembles like sam from trick-or-treat or, Treat or, or <laughs> yeah, the yeah, orphanage right. and then it kind of morphs into uh Jason Voorhees from Friday the Thirteenth mm-hmm. Part Two, and then by the end it kind of looks like Charlie Brown's uh, <laughs> costume and the great pumpkin. Uh,
0: That's interesting.
2: A few more holes than are necessary. And, uh,
0: <laughs> I never thought of that. That's hilarious. You're exactly right. But the blue oh, eyes, yeah. like <laughs> the look of the blue eyes through <laughs> that Oh my goodness! And and even though it is a TV movie, like usually I don't know about you guys, but usually I'm kind of like whatever. It's a TV movie. You know, it has that, um, it has that kind of like production look to it, but uh-huh. it totally works. And I think, I think the film is just a higher caliber than what we usually think of and, as TV. And, mm-hmm. and
1: by the way, yeah. And by the way, Jay Salem's Lot will always mention that was a TV movie.
0: Right. Yeah. That's right. So I mean, can't can't disrespect too much, huh, Doc?
1: Right, right.
0: That's right. Exactly. So Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, 1981. Yeah, that's a must for people. Okay, so what do you got, Dave, for uh, 1981?
1: 1981, there's a few ways I can go, but I am going to start with a movie called Graduation Day.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. All right. This is, for some reason, this one's another one that's striking me as, as a trauma. I don't know. I think maybe they just distributed. I'm not 100% sure. Um... But uh, it's it, it it it's a slasher. What happens is uh, it starts off with this race. Um, you, you know the the way the movie starts, you think it's it's almost like a, like this inspirational sports movie, all right. Um, you've got you've got this um, uh, this rock song called "The Winner" playing. There's this race <laughs> going on. This girl running down. Um, that her, her teammates and the coach played by the great Christopher George. I'm going to mention, I got to talk just a little bit about him one way in a second, but um, they're, they're shouting on go, go, go. And you know, it, it's, it's this girl, Laura, um, who, who's, who's running. She's out in front. Uh, she pulls away. She wins. And as soon as she crosses the uh, finish line, she drops dead from a blood clot mm. right there on the track. Um, and from that moment on, we're in full slasher mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a few things happen. Um, Laura's classmates—they're preparing to graduate. It's a few months later now, after her death, they're ready to graduate. Um, her sister—this um, girl, Laura's sister, who's an ensign in the Navy—comes uh, home to accept her diploma and to find answers as to why um, what happened to her. And a lot of people are looking at the coach, played by Christopher George. Um, you know, he—he's been—he's been let go. This is going to be his last year because of this death. Uh, he, you know, they say he drives him too hard. His, his, his training regimen, it, it had, might've contributed to it. Um, but while that's going on, other members of the school's track team are being finished off one by one by an unknown assailant. And again, this is a movie that, um, people don't know. I mean, a few, a few, a few of these, few of these, uh, tracks, you know, kids on the track team die, mm-hmm. um, before anybody realizes what's going on here. And, and it's a mystery. You kind of say, who's doing it? Is it the coach? Is it the sister? Um, there's also a boyfriend involved here um, of, of Laura, who's, who's kind of joining up with the sister to, to go out against the coach. Um, you've got all that going on. Uh, and some of the kills are pretty, you know, they're... they're, they're um, one involves a bed of nails, okay? It's just strategically placed near the high jump pit that's just sort of pushed in there. I kind of reminded of that quick little thing in Thanksgiving, Eli Ross trailer in Thanksgiving where someone just pushes a, pushes like a sword under a trampoline or something. Um, but, but you get that in, in this it's, uh, they're definitely creative. Um, it does have some of this sort of, you know, giallo feel to it uh, the killers in black gloves and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people, you never know who it is. There's the mystery element to it. um, it's not it. It's not perfect. There's a lot. There's a lot of characters in this movie. There's too many. I mean, you you get um, there's a music teacher who's introduced at one point, um, who's uh, sort of seduced by this one student played by a uh, by, by Linnea Quigley as a
3: yes of fact. yes. Um,
1: this is in I don't know if it's in one of the earlier films for her, uh, but there's a lot, there's even you you even get an appearance by Vanna White. From *Wheel of Fortune*, (laughs) she appears in this movie as one of two girls, sort of screaming in a locker when, uh, when I don't know if I I can't remember the scene exactly right now. If it was the killer, if it was a um, you know something else was going on there. Um, But anyway, it it, you know the director does a good enough job balancing the characters, but there's a lot of people in this movie, Uh, like the music teacher, and um, well, Linnea Quigley comes in later, but the music teacher he sort of just like disappears some of them just sort of drop up by the by the wayside uh pretty quickly but it is a good slasher film um and it's one i would uh i would recommend checking out
0: excellent oh, but anyway s-
1: christopher mm-hmm. george christopher george this guy was in he's he's one of those faces if you saw me recognize him normally played a good guy this is one of the few movies where he played a, a sort of a creep but he died very young. He died in 1983. Uh, well, not very young, but in 1983 he died. I think he was in his fifties. Um, he was in a lot of movies that genre fans will have seen. He was in. He was in. He was in um, City of the Living Dead. He was in Ender the Ninja, uh, the Exterminator. He was in uh, both Grizzly and Day of the Animals. Um, you know, both of which were directed by is it William Gerder, I think it is mm-hmm. uh, Girdler. Yeah, he was in these movies. One of those guys who's just made so many of these sort of um, genre films. Uh, Dixie Dynamite, okay, played a sheriff in, in, uh, in Dixie Dynamite. Um, he, he's one of those guys who, because I think he died uh, so young... Um, he, he sort of gets forgotten. And of course, one, I'm sure that we're going to be talking about later on, he, he was, he was in pieces, you know, he's like one of those guys who you see in a lot of different things. And I have not, I have yet to see a Christopher George movie that there wasn't something about it that I like. i I can't say that I, you know, I thought all of his movies were great, but there's something about him as an actor and just the movies that he, that, that he was in, that there's just something uh, good about them.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, on graduation day, I personally haven't seen this one, but we got Mark H. from the UK, Doc, who who raised this among his top five slashers. Nice. So he's nice. got that in there. And then, of course, you guys guessed it, Jason Dragon in his top 20. This is number 15. <laughs> this has
1: got to be the last, the last of his top 20. Mm. I think we've got to have covered
0: them all. Uh, no, you have to have 20. <laughs> um, so this he says... Is- you'll never get the songs out of your head and it's got early <laughs> Linnea Quigley roll.
1: Yes. Yes. And Linnea of course can't keep her clothes on. I don't think she could ever keep her clothes on uh-huh. in any of the movies she made back in the 80s.
3: Did you want her to? I mean, no. good God. No, 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 I no. Like
1: no. I'm, not, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. But Beautiful. I think, you know, even, even in movies where nobody else is getting their is, is taking their clothes off, Linnea is taking her clothes off. <laughs>
0: God bless Lene Quigley. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Wolfman, what do you got for 1981?
2: Well, I'm going to go with a heavy hitter right off the bat and just mention one of the big names. I know that all three of us really enjoy this film, but Greg, I want to curious, what do you think of My Bloody Valentine?
3: Oh, one of my all-time favorite films. (laughs) Yep. So, so freaking good. Got nice. that great song in there too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, this I is
2: one that I, I really, really like. We all covered this. Um, We did an episode, I think it was just called Bloody Valentines. But yes, it was, it was. Episode 10. Wow. All the way back in episode 10, we covered <laughs> uh, My Bloody Valentine 81 and My Bloody Valentine 2009. Um, so, yeah, I kind of want to just defer to Greg, actually, since we've all talked about it before. Mm-hmm. That's
0: right.
3: Uh yeah, this film right here, man, just has such a great feel about it. It was a great killer uh, because of the fact that it's the whole um, "who done it" kind of deal. Even though they say who it is, but is it actually the spirit, or is right. it somebody else come back in that um, good, good film, man? It's it's a gritty film. It's a dirty film. It's a pretty intense grotesque film for what it is uh it doesn't have a ton of of uh special effects in it but what little bit it does is effective uh it kind of makes you feel almost like um like a texas chainsaw Massacre feel where it feels a lot dirtier than it actually is yes. uh, i love being down in the mines i've been in not in a mine per se but my grandpa you know in west virginia was was ooh, alive ooh. <laughs> yep, go West Virginia Mountaineers. <laughs> oh, so uh, grandpa was, you know, in the lime field, so he was in the mines. My great granddad, so I know a lot about that, and I know the dirtiness of it. But you know, it's it's they're going to have this Valentine's party, and and then there's this tragedy happens, and then the townspeople decide, you know, for however many years it was, uh, twenty years or whatever, that they weren't going to have this party anymore. Uh, the kids decide, or the adults decide, hey, we're going to do it anyways. <laughs> and then here comes old Harry Warden.
1: <laughs> right.
3: uh, it's really good. 2009 is an amazing film too, by the way. I don't know how y'all rated it. An,
1: it's an excellent, it's one of it's yeah. one of the best remakes, I think, mm-hmm. of, Love it. of an original film is, is the new My Bloody Valentine. Oh,
3: Todd uh, Farmer, our buddy Todd, Todd
1: Farmer. Todd Farmer, yep. By Todd Farmer, exactly, got he's the, been with us with us a few times on Land of the Creeps.
3: Yes, and you got the god, the man, Tom Atkins, in there, Mr. Mustache yes. himself. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah that, that's that's another episode. But yeah, this one, I thought, man, great choice, Josh. I love this film, great,
1: absolutely, yeah, and it's my second all time favorite slasher film. But if we're looking wow. at slasher films of the 1980s. It is my all-time favorite 1980s slash.
2: Oh wow, mm-hmm. that's awesome, Dave. Well, I stole that yeah. one from you. And I apologize, but <laughs> no, not
1: at all, not at all. I'm glad you did because I was I probably would have passed it over because we talked about it. So I'm yeah. glad you brought right. it up. Definitely.
2: Well, I love that small town dirtiness that Greg talked about. I it's I love the this place that this is filmed in the location is so unique and we don't see yes. much of that in hollywood mm. movies so and it's cool that it's just so different
4: mm-hmm.
2: and uh yeah and the valentine's day theme is a lot of fun too i think yes. yeah i like these i like the use and it's
1: that. and it's got one of the, it's got another one of the sort of like guerrilla filmmaking and, and jay i know you you had made a comment about this there's that scene where it's just a car going down the road and just from out of nowhere this dog starts chasing the car <laughs> it's just going crazy after this car you know, and you know, the filmmakers are like, what do we do? Well, let's just keep rolling with it. Let's hope the dog doesn't get hit or, you
0: know, <laughs> no, that, that, that's hilarious. Now, um, the couple of things on this, just want to warn the listeners, if you're unfamiliar with this, like if your sweetheart is not a horror fan and you try showing this movie tour on Valentine's day, yeah, forget then it. You, Don't you're it. not going to get any candy that night. No, just no, no, no. The, the other thing I love about this, the tagline is amazing. Uh, there's more than one way to lose your heart, and that's killer good. <laughs> um, there was an IMDb yeah. reviewer, guys, uh, from Australia. Shout out to the Aussies who who called this the deer hunter of 80s slashers. And I think ooh, that is right wow. on the money. And ooh, yeah, of, yeah. of course, our friend uh, Jason Dragon, this is his number one in the there top 20. Got it. He there said, he, he says it's his favorite can exploitation film of the 80s it also Uh has one of the best remakes a truly masterful slasher joe brunette put this at number nine and then the boogie brand which is brandon's horror name the boogie brand (laughs) i like that um he he calls it the small town mine and the creepy killer costume made this a very memorable film in an era of slasher sequels so yeah Mm -hmm. this is much loved by people
1: there was, there was one bit of trivia, and it's on IMDb, I think. So I, I'm always a little skeptical of some of the, the trivia on IMDb. I've got burned by it many times before. Uh, but there, supposedly that they had to send uh, one of the special effects in, or, or it was a coffin or something. One of the spe- uh, they had to send it in, and they, so they decided to just put, you know, send this coffin through Customs. And I think they ran into a little bit of trouble trying to get this coffin, <laughs> uh through customs. Um, and then another one where the special effects guy said that one of the effects he came up with was so good that the director threw up at the sight of it.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Whether that's true or not, whether that, I have no idea, but
0: that's, that's right. what it
1: says on IMDb.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, so who picked that one? That was Josh, right? Wolfman? Well, yeah, Josh. Okay, so... That's right. So here's one for you guys, it's called Eyes of a Stranger. It's from 1981 and directed by uh, Ken Weederhorn, Weederhorn, I guess. Anyway, it's, it's the premise is a reporter suspects a creepy neighbor who lives in the high-rise building across from hers mm-hmm. is a serial killer terrorizing the Miami area. I haven't seen mm-hmm. it, but it sounds like it's got some rear window influence to me. Yeah. <laughs> but
2: and someone's watching me maybe.
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, definitely. So there you go. Uh, what do you got, Greg Mortis for
3: 1981? Uh, I'm going to go, and this is one of those movies some people love, some people hate kind of movie. I absolutely love it. It's got a Blu-ray release, but it's Madman by Joe <laughs> Giannato. I love this film, man. This <laughs> this movie is so fun. Um, God, I love the whole or This has got your campfire tale story going on in it, which I think is – one of the greatest things in cinematic history is when you got some guy at a, at a campfire telling a story, man, the ghost story. I love it. It was in the fog. It's in so many movies. Uh, but I love this movie, man. It's got a great little hook line of a song in it about the, <sighs> the legend of Madman Mars.
0: That song. Uh, just, I, it's oh. It's so incredible. In fact, what I'll do is I'll put it
5: right here. Telling of his horror Lost in the woods With the madman and the stars Don't laugh at the tales Heed if you call him the last
3: Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. I want to hear it again because I, I love it, man. I just love, <laughs> love, love this film. And thankfully, it has come out on Blu-ray. I actually, I've got it on DVD, but I've not bought that Blu-ray yet, but I need to get it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree. This is, uh, again, you know, I just, I have to admit, this is one that you directed me toward. I think this is in your slash from the stash. <laughs> I like the way you mm-hmm. covered this one. Back on Planet Macabre, and uh, I really enjoyed this film when I saw it. Now, I I do have to confess. I want to tell people this up front. It it's a very um, what what's the word? It's a very like kind of a grassroots-y feeling movie, and it's uh-huh. very low budget. It, um, yes, it, but it has heart to it, right? Gregor Mortis, is that is that how you would describe it? I'm, that's exactly the way I describe it. <laughs> okay, yeah, because when you see it, you're like, "Wow, this is this thing is kind of rough around the edges." But the mm-hmm. fact that it's it, it's a psycho, this psychopath killer freak, uh, stalking in yeah. a summer camp, I mean, that's amazing.
3: It's- it's so original, right? No, not really. Uh, but, but we but love they, it. <laughs> the, I do. But they capitalize on the fact that you don't see The Killer a lot either, and I, I liked that. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you see him too much. This one, you know, not really that much. But it, it's just got, it is. It's a passion. I think this was a passion film. I think the right. the writers and the directors producers wanted to put something out, and they put their heart and soul in it with very little, very little money. And they made this film, and I, I love it. I just absolutely love it. Mm-hmm.
2: I yeah. don't know if it's just because it's the Halloween season, but a lot of these movies we're talking about are streaming on Amazon for free. Well, if you have a subscription to Amazon Prime,
4: Mad
2: mm-hmm. um, Men, you can watch with a free with the Amazon Prime. Uh, graduation Day. So uh, make sure you're checking out Amazon Prime if you have that, because
4: yeah.
3: literally
2: the majority of the movies we talked about here. Are streaming for free or for like a two ninety nine rental? Oh wow!
0: Yeah,
3: nice. And that's awesome.
0: Just w- one last thing for me on this. So, in addition to that little song, uh, Gregor Morris and I love so much. I, I love that the fact that he's this old freak with long fingernails, like the the <laughs> long fingernails. Uh, it just, I mean, mm. that kind of gets under my skin. But anyway, Jason Dragon, top twenty, number twelve here. He said, "At the best of the Cropsy legend stories." At the time, the killer equals the fright of Michael Mm -hmm. Myers. Uh Ooh, interesting. Uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm not
3: going to comment. Okay. (laughs) I've liked Mr. Dragon so far, and I don't know him, but I need to get to know (laughs) Mr. Dragon. I like his taste.
0: He's the real deal. He really is.
3: Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Okay, so that's uh, Madman. And then what do you got, Dr. Shock 1981?
1: All right, I'm going to change things up a bit to a movie that I saw on cable back in the day and i remember the exact moment i turned it on and it pulled me in i didn't even know what it was about at the point but it was it's a it is a comedy horror movie called student bodies
4: <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and i
1: remember i i had turned it on and I, I it was on cable i think it was on like the local prism which was the the philadelphia cable station and it's this announcer's sitting there, and he goes, ladies, and I'm looking at the quote now on IMDb, So, and I will clean it up, Jay, so I know I slipped a little earlier, but I won't slip that's, again. That's okay. Um It's an announcer, and he's sitting there, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, in order to achieve an R rating today, a motion picture must contain full frontal nudity, graphic violence, or an explicit reference to the sex act. Since this <laughs> film has none of those, and since research has proven that R-rated films are by far the most popular with the movie going public, the producers of this motion picture have asked me to take this opportunity to say, F you. And at that moment, the MPAA R rating logo pops on the screen. It is, it's more of a comedy than it is a slasher, but it is a slasher. Okay. And mm-hmm. it, it has that, like, it's the breather, I think is what the killer's name is. And I have not seen this movie probably in over 30 years. But it it, it has, it has, I just remembered, like, the killer and, and he's just breathing heavy. I remember him looking out of a locker at one point. Um, and it, it is a funny movie. It really is. I thought it, was, I thought it was really funny. I'm looking at another quote here. The principal says, hasn't there been enough senseless killing? Let's have a murder that makes sense. <laughs> and it's that kind of, it, it, that kind of movie. Um, I don't remember a whole lot about it. I'm, I'm looking on IMDb. It just as a killer name. The breather uh, tallies up a score of teenage bodies. And it is a parody of slasher films. I thought it's kind of funny. Like right in 1981. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, we're getting one of those. And it's not quite like what the Wayans brothers would do later on, because you watch some of the Wayans brothers um, parodies now, and you don't get the jokes anymore because, you know, like they're, they're sort of, um, I remember the, like they're, they're even like bringing commercials into it that were popular at the time. Right. People who are watching these movies now for the first time, are like, what are they talking about? What is sort of like, what's up? You know, like and what is that and then scary movie? Like, that's also funny yeah. about that nowadays. <laughs> no. um, but right. student bodies didn't have that. It's just okay. It takes. If anybody's familiar with slasher movies, they're going to recognize everything in, in this parody. Oh, Still, yeah. mm-hmm.
3: and it's got and, a great poster art. Oh, it's the yeah. poster is incredible.
4: Mm. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: the poster might be the best thing about, it, in my opinion.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, actually, I haven't seen it. I don't think. I, uh, I, I remember I was going to watch this at one point because it was streaming for free on amazon and i watched the trailer and i was like nope i'm not gonna be able to do that. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: well we had um dr Shockwheat, you got somebody to back you up here and it is our uh friend projectile varmint it's among oh, yeah. it's among her favorites she says it's a very tongue-in-cheek film promoting teenage abstinence so it was on there her list go. as well. <laughs> nice. Okay, what do you got for 1981, Wolfman, Josh?
2: Oh, what do we got here? So many to choose from. Um, well, I'm going to take the easy way out again here. I'm going to say we've already talked about Halloween Two. I know that's one of mm-hmm. Greg's favorite movies. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm looking at my role here, Jay is. Relaying our previous episodes to people
1: who haven't seen them yet. <laughs> There you go. Okay. But,
2: uh, we, we talked about the Halloween franchise in five episodes, over five episodes. And uh, our first one included Halloween, Halloween 2, and Halloween 3. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And I, I've always liked this movie, but not as much as everyone else. I like it because I'm a big fan of that Sisters Trilogy idea. Um, But I know that I think everyone here is a bigger fan of this film than me, actually.
4: Mm -hmm. So Mm
2: -hmm. I'm not the one to talk about it, but all four of us actually together reviewed this film on a horror movie podcast episode 27. That's right. Check out our review.
0: And I recently revisited that Greg Amortis because I wanted to hear our review Mm -hmm. of it. And I loved that particular review when you were on there. So, yeah, I hope people will check that out um, because I just revisited it recently as well. Yeah, as a guest on the Resurrection of Zombie Seven podcast with Ron Martin and Jessica over there, and so nice. uh, you can hear that review in episode two fifteen of Zombie Seven dot com. But anyway, um,
2: Jay, did you steal all of our ideas and give them to the Resurrection of Zombie Seven? <laughs> that's
0: that's what Ron Martin claims, but I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true. But anyway, he says that to me all the time. <laughs> but um, this is also a favorite of the Boogie Brand. Brand underscore flakes on Twitter. Uh, he says <laughs> Halloween 2 is perhaps the best slasher sequel. The showdown between Loomis and Michael was great. One of the best ever slasher kill scenes, in my opinion, is when Michael stabs the nurse lifting her off the ground and her shoes fall off. Phenomenal. Yes. Yes. So that's crazy. And then Brian from Illinois, um, he has this as his number one. 80 slasher, and then Joe Burnett has it at number two. What do you say, Greg Amortis?
3: Oh, it's definitely would be top three. Well, let me look through the If you go 81, there's so, so freaking many good ones, but of course Halloween 2 would be my first out of all these, but it would be a close sack at two because... You know, there's going to be ones I'll just throw out. No, I'm not even going to throw them out. It's it's one <laughs> of my top. Let's just say that. Love it. Other than Jamie Lee Curtis's horrible wig in this movie. But other than that, can't beat it. Lance Guest, man, you got the great quote of Bud. I mean, it's just freaking awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Amazing, <laughs> great.
0: <laughs> Sit on my
4: face. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Okay. So Halloween 2, yes, can't go wrong. And then, guys, from 1981, there's a little film called Bloody Moon, and Mm -hmm. girls are killed at a language school in Spain. The director is Jesus Franco, and Mark H. from the U.K. had this in his top five slashers. He said, another Euro cheese fest and a guilty pleasure. Uh, uh, Jess Franco attempt at horror. This guy would follow any film trend to make a buck, and he was often shocking and successful. The film never has a dull moment and is packed full of terrible lines and great practical effects. A few points need to go off the score for actual animal harm, though. All mm-hmm. in all, a great movie for guy's night with pizza and beer. So, anyway, mm-hmm. that's Bloody Moon, mm-hmm. 1981.
1: Mr. Mr. Jess Franco.
0: Yeah with
1: the uh...
3: Mr. Exploited himself.
1: <laughs> yeah, look at that.
0: There you go. Nice. Okay, Greg Amortis, what do you have for nineteen eighty
1: one?
0: Uh how
3: about a little um yeah, we'll go there. How about a little clown film called The Fun House? Oh yeah. <laughs> What better film for Halloween than a carnival, man? I love carnivals. I'm with (laughs) Kenny Caperton, our buddy from the Myers House NC. uh, And Jay, I hope you don't mind, but I do want to plug this. October 29th, October 29th, Greg Amortis will be at Kenny Caperton's house. It's the Myers House NC. October 29th for his eighth annual Halloween bash. Kip Weeks himself. Uh, The killer, mass killer from The Strangers, one of the greatest films in the last couple decades, dude. I love that movie. Kip Weeks himself is going to be there signing autographs, whatever, but Greg Mortis is going to be there. I'm going to be doing some uh, recording for Land of the Creeps, so get there. But anyways, Kenny is a huge fan of carnivals, and I am too as well, and the Fun House is one of those just great, fun-feel, you know, the... Basically, you go into this fun house and then they shut it down overnight or whatever, and their the kids decide to stay, you know, after hours. And oh, you shouldn't have did that because guess what? (laughs) (laughs) There's some killers on on board. I love this film. (laughs) Scream Factory did a great, great, great Blu-ray release of this.
1: And this is another one I saw on cable. And I think the scene that that got me in this one was the. was, was the magician sort of dressed up looking like, I don't know, like a vampire or something. He's got yeah. the girl in the box. He's about to drive a stake into the heart and, and uh, something happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is, this is another one. I I, mean, I I saw this not too long ago uh, myself. I think I was, it was one of the um, uh, spooky flicks that we did on, the, on mm-hmm. um, the old forgotten flicks. I think we covered it on uh, uh, with Joel on um, well, on that uh, well, a couple of years ago I think it was now, mm-hmm. um, but a few things about this. First, it's, it's directed by by Toby to Hooper. Toby Hooper, yeah, yep. yes. Um, and I remember the opening scene with uh, the main goes it Elizabeth Beridge. I think might be the the main girl in this.
4: Yes, where
1: you know she's she's topless in this. She looks like she's about fifteen years old. <laughs> she looks incredibly young in this movie way too young to be taking her clothes off It's what it looked like Yikes. to me anyway i'm sure she sure. wasn't she wasn't under 18 at the time she was over 18 at the time mm-hmm. but man she looks so young in, in that scene but yeah i'm with you this is a fun one and yeah and there's even a real two-headed cow yes or two-headed calf in this thing they actually went into one of these sort of freak show type attractions and then they got this 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 two-headed calf uh, that makes a cameo appearance in the mm-hmm. movie as well.
3: Yeah, put this on your every year Halloween watch list. This should go in your Halloween watch list every year.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. And and our friend Juan in Texas, he has this among his top five slashers. He says, The Funhouse is my favorite Toby Hooper film. Yes, I know. Sacrilege. What can I say? I find it to be so much fun, mostly because of the setting, and I think it's so perfect. I don't know why more horror horror movies don't use it, It may not have been the artistry of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but at least it doesn't have Franklin in it. Mm. One. (laughs) Plus, Elizabeth Burridge is absolutely lovely. And, of course, Jason Dragon, top 20, it's number 10, and he calls it Toby Hooper's third great film that he solely directed.
3: (laughs) I wonder if Eatin' Alive was his number two. I
0: I bet. Maybe. Yeah. Could be.
3: Curious. Let us know.
1: And we're not going to get, in this episode, I guess in the next episode, to a little movie called Sleepaway Camp, where it gets even creepier. Right. But, right. yeah, I, I, I'm definitely with Greg on that one. I, I like the fun house. And I guess it's my turn now, or?
0: Yeah, go for it, Dr. Sean. Okay. What's next?
1: All right. I'm noticing that just before Dawn is listed as 1981. I did that under 1980. So I guess I thought, but I'm going to go with a uh, Wes Craven film called Deadly Blessing. Mm. Mm. With a young Sharon Stone. In the, mm-hmm. in the cast, but um, this is one I did last Halloween when I was sort of catching up with um, uh, all of uh, um, the, the Wes Craven movies that, that were not Scream or Nightmare on Elm Street or uh, Hills Have Eyes, because those are ones I was familiar with. Um, but Deadly Blessing, uh, it has a really good performance by, by Ernest Borgnine. There's just something yes. about that guy. I've seen him play a religious guy, and I've seen him play a, 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 a Satanist. And there's just something about him that you believe him in both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have the, this couple living on a farm. Uh, they have run-ins with this group. They're called the, the Hittites. And they're a religious, deeply religious sect um, that owns some of the land you know nearby them. Uh, the, the guy, Jim, was a Hittite once. Uh, his father was Isaiah, Ernest Borgnine, um, who's sort of the leader of the group. Uh, but Jim, when he married this outsider, Martha, he was he was shunned by you know they sort of threw him out. He had met her in college and then they threw him out of. Uh, but then one day uh, while he's out in the barn, Jim is crushed by a tractor that just all of a sudden rolls forward. Um, so what happens? Martha is now by herself in a land that is very hostile towards her. So two of her old college friends come to stay with her, Lana, played by Sharon Stern and Vicky. Um, I guess Susan Buckner is the actress who played her. Kemba mm. uh, stayed with her for a few weeks, and you have the the daughter of um, uh, this this uh, Louisa, who's a daughter of of Faith, uh, the only other non-Hittite in the area. You know, she she said, "I'll stay with you for a while, Martha, too." Um, but the the uh, Isaiah and his Hittites are really trying to convince the heathen daughter-in-law of his to sell <laughs> the farm back. Uh, but she has no intention of doing that. And it just sort of leads to the standoff. Uh, a few good scenes in this one. Um, first off, you have the, the, the Hittites are just so intense. Uh, and Michael Berryman also plays uh, one of the Hittites. Very, very memorable. Um, uh, one of those guys who you, you look at him, you always know Michael Berryman.
0: Right. Uh,
1: um, I'm not sure what that condition. Yeah, but I'm not sure what his condition is, Greg. I don't know. You might know a little bit more about that. Uh, Does he have, it's, it's it's I don't know if it's um he has a condition where yeah. uh, he can't grow hair is it or
3: Yeah, he actually can't grow like fingernails and stuff either, but yeah, I don't know the exact terminology of it, but yeah.
1: Okay. Very memorable and the lil's have eyes. You know, mm-hmm. he, he in the original Hills Have Eyes is right. probably what. And, and of course, I think he was in um, The Devil's Rejects. He had a cameo in The Devil's Rejects as well. Um, uh, Ernest Borgnine, for some reason, was nominated for a Razzie for this, for Worst Supporting Actor. Um, but I don't think he did a bad job. I mean, it, it's a one-note character, yes, definitely. But you believe him in the role. Um, you know, and he, it, it, there's a really intense scene where they're having this prayer meeting and he punishes this young Hit type boy, beats him on the hands with a stick. I don't even remember what the kid did now, but you know he gets a beating. Um, the, the, the 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 final twist might be a little out there, you know, the sort of big reveal at the end, um, and the final scene. You're going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> but those things aside, I did, I I like this movie. You know, I I yes. I, I, I found it more I found it more engaging than I. I th- I had avoided it for a while. It just didn't seem like one that was going to really impress me, but I did end up liking this. And I think I'm kind of I know this was not well received by critics or by a mm-hmm. lot of people. Um but no, I did enjoy it.
0: I haven't really seen I haven't seen this at all, but um mm-hmm. th- it doesn't sound like a slasher that much. Um it's it's a it's straight. It,
1: it is because it is, but but you do have characters Finished off by a mysterious killer, and nobody mm. knows who the killer is in, okay. un, until the end. Several other people—I didn't go into some of the other kills, but there are I other gotcha. people who who suffer um, similar. I mean, it's not—it's it, certainly stretching the boundaries. I've seen it on several slasher lists. That's one of the reasons I'm bringing it up.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: Um, and I'm trying to avoid the big ones that we're going to be talking about later on. All right. Gotcha. Um but I have seen it on several lists. I don't know. It it might be stretching the definition of a slasher a little bit. Um but it does have some elements of it anyway.
0: Okie dokie. Just curious.
2: I, just two quick notes on that. Number one, um, this is also streaming on Amazon Prime. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring that up every time you bring up Jason Dragon. I'll let people know about <laughs> <deal>. <laughs> <streaming> <laughs> that's the deal. And then um further there's a very famous shot in this film that Wes Craven lifted and included is probably one of the most iconic shots in his entire filmography from a nightmare on Elm street in the bathtub. Um, you'll see, you'll see where that came from. Yes.
1: Yes.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. I got you. All right. Wolfman Josh, what do you have for
2: 1981? I'm going to briefly mention two birthday related films. Um, (laughs) Mostly because I don't think one of them anyone will really want to talk about. But if I'm wrong, stop me and and definitely talk about it. But uh, the two films are Bloody Birthday and Happy Birthday to Me. Mm -hmm. Um, Bloody Birthday is, in my opinion, a really dumb killer kids movie. But it has the superior movie poster to Happy Birthday to Me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends on Um, which Happy Birthday to Me poster, right?
2: Uh, well, I guess the one that I am most familiar with. I okay, what, is there's a really cool one that
0: doesn't involve shish kebab. That oh, you don't <laughs> love the you don't love the shish kebab thing.
2: Oh, that was a one j light. <laughs> Compared to Bloody Birthday, Bloody Birthday has got one of the coolest mo- horror movie posters ever. In it my is. Opinion.
0: It is cool. Blood yeah, the fingers in good. the cake. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, but uh, yeah, Happy Birthday to me is is an excellent slasher. I think this is just again one of the, um. It's one of the lesser-known, iconic standalone films. You know, there, there are so many big franchises that we, I think, we get focused on those that have been remade or or been part of these big franchises. And there are some that are just perfect for what they are. And to me, um, "Happy Birthday to Me" is one of those iconic ones. But basically, um, you've got again a prior evil and. And then, uh, you know, uh, something that has been disturbing based on what has happened before uh, that results in, you know, uh, a modern day situation where people are being knocked off one by one. Right. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. This is just one of the great the great slashes, in my opinion. I,
1: I, you know, it's been I saw it for the blog and it was actually the first time I'd ever seen it. I did not get to see this one back in the day. I didn't I actually hated the ending of this really the final reveal of this movie. And I don't, and I, again, it's, this is, I go back to, hmm. this is one of the, might've been in the first hundred movies I watched, um, for the blog. So I don't remember much about it, but I just remember yeah. thinking the twist was just, are you kidding me
4: mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: <laughs> at the end of this?
4: Yeah,
2: I can see that. The, the, the writer, John CW stacks, and he wasn't the only, there were three or four credited writers on this movie. But I'm a big fan of John C.W. Saxton. He wrote uh, mm-hmm. one of the greatest punk rock movies of all time, Class of 1984. Nice. Um, <laughs> which is incredible.
4: Yeah, yes. that's a
2: good movie. That's a totally. and, uh, and then the director, you know, has done some really interesting... Yeah,
1: J. J-, J. Lee Thompson. And, and yeah. this is also very unusual for a slasher film in that it's almost two hours.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and long. it's one of Run's those... Almost... And there were a lot of these early on in the slasher, you know, genre where I think the filmmakers, because of the slasher genre wasn't really established yet. You know, we had only really mm-hmm. seen, probably the only ones they could really point to at this point would be uh, Halloween, maybe the first Friday the 13th, maybe um, Black Christmas. But essentially, you know, they're working off very little. And so to uh-huh. have a mainstream filmmaker who's directed stuff like Cape Fear... And Guns of the Navarone, to have them walk in and direct a, a little slasher movie set at a yeah. college campus is, I don't mm-hmm. know, just a really
1: cool it's pretty and impressive. interesting. Thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm anyway. with you.
0: Yeah, I, I think this one's really surprising at how many kind of twists and turns it takes. It ha- It has a lot of little surprises to it. Um, Jonathan Watkins has in his top 10 is his number five. He says, another great mystery and a great example of an Americanized giallo, which is probably my second favorite subgenre in horror films. Please mm-hmm. do a giallo episode. I beg you. Okay.
2: We, we must do it. But it sounds like yeah, right has got it covered. So head over to Line of the Creeps for now. Yeah, exactly.
0: There, yeah. There you go, but I
3: would love to hear your take on it. But go this ahead, does man. have uh, your girl from Little House on the Prairie, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's
0: right. Don't yeah, forget. Melissa Sue Anderson.
1: Yep.
0: That's right. And, and, J- Glenn,
1: and Glenn Ford. Glenn Ford was in this movie.
0: And, uh, of course, Jason Dragon Top 20. It's number nine. He says, whether the ending makes you shocked or cracked, it's a keeper. <laughs> 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 I love it. Uh, all right. So um, that was Josh, right? Okay. Yes. Very good, Josh. Well done. Thank you. And at this point, I think I'll move into my feature review of The
5: Prowler. It was 1945, the night of the graduation dance. The war overseas had just ended. The terror at home was about to begin. I? Come on, come on, kid! Don't play hard to get. What about New Year's Eve? Well, that was different. I couldn't help myself.
0: Guys, okay, let me just say this real quick. So this was. <laughs> If this is where I come down on this movie, if you look at what a slasher film is or what the slasher subgenre became after it was fully developed and fully formed, you know, wasn't just a zygote, but it was like a living, breathing baby. I think this may be the finest example of an 80s slasher flick. It is quintessential 80s slasher. I think this this movie's incredible. And I remember when I first saw it I was just my mind was kind of blown. I think it nails it. Uh, the budget on this was supposedly 1 million dollars, supposedly it was released uh-huh. in November of 81 and internationally it's known as Rosemary's Killer. And I wondered a little bit. I know the I know the character in the film is Rosemary, but I wonder if if they were trying to do some kind of, you know, riff off of Rosemary's Baby cuz people recognize that. Possibly. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But mm-hmm. But this is about you. Got this? Um, it's it's kind of crazy, actually. So, y- you've got this killer who's dressed up and wearing uh, World War II era military fatigues, and he's mm. terrorizing this sleepy New Jersey town. And he wields a, a pitchfork and a bayonet blade. And man, this is some of makeup makeup artist Tom Savini's very best work. And I think hey,
1: this is. Best. It, it is his absolute best, and that is saying something.
0: Yeah, and I think he he even claims, you know, he he even feels that way about it. That it's you mm-hmm. watch this
1: movie, and you think there are several people, you think that person's dead.
0: Yeah, in real that, life, that
1: can't possibly be an effect. They must. This must be a snuff film. They must have just killed that person. Yeah, <laughs> it, it looks
0: absolutely real. I mean, there there is a scene. I'm just gonna. I won't describe when it happens or anything, but honestly, there's a there's a blade that's run down through a, a man's skull and exits yep. his chin yes. th- that you're like, that really happened. And then another right. <laughs> a swimming, yep. there's a neck slash and a swimming bull. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's incredible and, and it's yeah. very creepy. So I, I wondered though, I mean that, so this came out in like 81 and you had, um, it's one of those films where like Josh has been saying to you, you get the, the prior evil where something awful happened back in the day. So like in, the world war 2 era, something bad happened. And then and then it comes up kind of to the modern time. And I wondered if this was one of those movies that was kind of responding to uh Vietnam. I think it's interesting that you have you know this military type character and even though you know this is a little bit after Vietnam when this came out, but it it still makes me wonder Okay, were people still kind of reeling from that? Did this have an effect oh. on it? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's Less
1: than ten years, uh, you know, after the war ended, so yeah, it's possible.
0: Yeah, so it, it makes me think that. But um, you know, when when it opens, though, I, I think one thing that's really a neat juxtaposition in this, the opening, is this kind of like celebration. War is over. Uh, it's the the end of World War Two. And it's a a time of returning to love and comfort. And you see couples embracing and kissing. And this is actually where the baby boom began because everybody was just happy to be back together, making love, making babies and stuff, you know. So (laughs) um, anyways, (laughs) and I think it's super cool that in this town, in this horror movie, war is not over. You know, as it opens, you've still got a soldier who is disgruntled because... Anyways, I think that's super cool. And it's, what do you guys think? Let me just kick it over to you, Um, Greg Mortis. I think this
3: is definitely Tom Savini's greatest work. And I think it's just an outstanding film altogether. All around this movie is, like you said, Jay, I think you put it perfectly, that once the slasher genre had kind of took hold, this is the quintessential slasher film. This is the Mecca. Awesome,
0: awesome film. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, what about you, Josh? Do you like this one?
2: Yeah, this is definitely in my top three 80s slashers. Um, I think it's excellent. I've just been thinking about what you said about uh, Vietnam having just been over. Because really, I, I was thinking about if you were to look at film within which we deal with like the Korean War and Vietnam, we're really very early into that. In film terms, we've just recently begun – exploring these darker elements of Vietnam. And Uh so this is coming right on the heels of, like, this is only two years after Apocalypse Now. So, you know, like, three or four years after The Deer Hunter, right? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, we are right in the midst of exploring how we as a country felt about all these, like, soldiers coming home to all this pain, whereas – in World War II, they came home to kind of glory in the Greatest Generation, and they were fighting a clear, obvious evil in the world. And now, in World in Vietnam, they were coming home to hatred, and um, you know, and a lot of them had committed atrocities too. And and we Aww. we were seeing, I think, our soldiers as either monsters or victims in this era. And so, I mean, I think that's right. really interesting looking at the prowler where we are seeing again, a soldier is kind of a monster and a victim.
0: And, and my, my biggest support of that, my biggest evidence that really makes me think that this is kind of Vietnam influenced is because a lot of those guys, it's heartbreaking, but a lot of those guys were coming back really screwed up, you know, just, yeah. just traumatized and just, um, and, and so this particular killer it has the same s- situation as well. Very screwed up obviously and, yeah. and troubled. And so, Sad, uh, yeah, it is. It's really tragic. A lot of times the monster is the most tragic character in a horror film. That's pretty interesting yep. to me, but yes. Uh, so anyway, the prowler, D- Dave, actually, um, you had some really neat, you actually get to visit some of the area where this was shot, right? Uh,
1: I did. Yeah. Real quick. It was, it was about, Oh, Less than a month ago now, um, my wife and I went away for the weekend uh, down uh, to Wildwood, New Jersey, which is where we go all the time. Um, and I had told her, you know, on Saturday night, we were just looking for something. I said, well, let's go to Cape May and we'll do a little, you know, she, she could do some shops. Oh, yeah, that's great. So we, we went down to the front desk of the motel we're staying. And he gave us, OK, here's where you go in Cape May. And it was it was this um, this uh, shopping mall area. Uh, and then I remembered, as as she was getting ready before we left, I said, "Oh, the Prowler was filmed in Cape May." So I pulled it up, and I was looking at filming locations. Now, where we were going was like um, it was called uh, Washington Street, and I know it was like around like 300 Washington Street or somewhere around there. And I looked, and I said, oh, one one of the the major you know the, the locations is at one ten forty eight Washington Street." <laughs> so I'm sitting there going, "Okay." Uh, how am I going to convince my wife to walk that I, I was going to do it myself, that I would be back, that I have to walk seven blocks to go take a picture of this house. I had to see it because the color <laughs> right, is, yeah, yeah. is, is in my top five slasher films. Right. Um, and I had to see this thing. I said, I'm here. I'm like seven blocks away. How can I not? So I could I talk to her. You no, know, it's funny because originally I thought, how am I going to spend this? That this going to seem like acceptable. She said, well, I'll, I'll go with you like she just volunteered to go with me, which shot the, the hell out of me <laughs> because she doesn't usually give up shopping for anything. Usually we got to drag her out of stores, <laughs> yes. but she decided to give up a little bit of shop and a walk with me to to this. Um, it's the the it's the emblem. Physic estate is the real name of it. Now, we went down a, a block or so, and they had these, like, horse-drawn carriages that take you around to different areas to the historical site. It's funny, because I went up to the woman running it, and I said, are you going anywhere near the, the Major uh, uh, Chatham house? And she goes, oh, like, she didn't know what I was talking about. And I said, oh, God, this person doesn't know anything about Cape May history, hmm. so I'm going the hell with it. We'll just walk. Well, being the, the idiot that I am, I was, I was saying the Major Chatham, Chatham house. That was the character in The Prowler. She wasn't going to know what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> right. Uh, it's really the Emblem physical state. But anyway, we're walking to get to this. And the blocks are pretty short at first. So I'm thinking, this isn't going to take long at all. Well, once we hit 700, the blocks got longer. We are now moving away from the sound of the mall in the background. It's all outdoor stores. We're moving away from that sound. We're getting into silence. And we're getting into now an area where there's only a street light every 300 feet. And it's getting darker and it's getting a little bit creepier and we're walking and walking and all of a sudden I tripped. I don't know if you know, if some of these old towns, they have just the slate sidewalks, just the slate stones they put down a hundred years ago. And when a Mm -hmm. root comes out or when the ground caves in, they just go all, you know, they just get all wonky. Well, we didn't know that we're walking along fine. And I tripped, I almost went plowed right into a tree with my shoulder. I would have broke my shoulder I stopped myself at the last minute. So from that point on, my mother, my wife has her cell phone light on and we're walking with this little flashlight because it's blackout. I mean, it was like dark, which I do want to say real quick, if there's anybody listening on the Cape May Town Council, I like Queen as much as the next guy. But fix the damn sidewalk.
0: <laughs> anyway, right.
1: we're walking and then we finally came up to the house and I was like, OK, this this is great. My wife was even saying, "Go on in there." That you know, it's now a, a tennis club, if you can if you can imagine. Oh wow! Um, but I taking pictures from a distance. She goes, "Oh, get up closer! Get up closer!" I started remembering the prowler.
0: Oh yeah! <laughs> I gotta
1: yeah. say, I didn't want to get in too damn
0: close. You're like, I don't want to so bayonet through the head. I, I kept yeah. saying to my
1: wife, "No, no, no! I, I think it'd be better if I just go back here." You know, I don't want to <laughs> trespass or anything like that. <laughs> She even said at one point, what, are you afraid? I said, no, 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 I just don't, <laughs> you know. don't want
4: to
1: go too close. Um, but I got the pictures. I got two pictures of it. And I'm pretty sure this is where those kill scenes were shot, mm. you know, because a lot of them, the dance hall, the swimming pool. No, maybe not. No, maybe it's not because the dorm scenes might have been done at this other one that was closer to the shore. This might have just been sort of like a quick location. But still, I just thought it was awesome that I got to see it. You know, that I got to see, hey, this is where and I can even see. Because it's, it's the major change, and that was Lawrence Tierney's character. And I remember him sitting in that chair in one scene, just sitting outside this place. Um, and I thought it was really cool that I was able to get there and see. Because I think I sent you guys, I think I sent you guys texts with the pictures, like, mm-hmm. within 20 minutes after I took the picture. Yeah, I, was so oh, excited.
0: So, I loved it. So
1: excited that I got down to, to see that. So
0: Well, thanks for doing um,
1: that. Yeah, and this is, is, it is a top five for me as well and yeah it was it, it was it was just really cool I couldn't go to Cape May without seeing something oh, yeah. of uh, of where they shot these
0: yeah so uh, yeah it, it's a tremendous film it's a must see if people haven't seen this um, just two more trivia notes it, it, the cemetery scenes were shot supposedly in an actual cemetery on the night of Halloween 1980 and the open grave there was uh, waiting for a funeral in that, in yeah. that one that's interesting yeah. and um this reminds me a lot to like kind of the way the story is structured and so forth. It's very similar to My Bloody Valentine with them not wanting to have, you know, this dance or this celebration and then they have it anyway kind of thing. That was kind of cool to me, the parallels there. But um, Mark H from the UK, it's in his top five slashers. Joe Brunette, he actually listed this in his top 20. He put it at number seven and number 16. So, Joe we'll make that number seven for the record. And for me, it's a 9.5 out of 10. I forget what I rated before, but I just revisited it for this review. I'm giving it a 9.5 right now saying buy it. It's a must see. All right. Totally
3: agree. Yeah, Thank me you. too.
0: Okay. Greg Mortis, what do you got for us from
3: 1981? Uh, How about a film? Uh, I think Linda Blair film, and you know where I'm going here. Yes. Uh, little m- movie called Hell Night that um, I actually really dig this film and it's just a good feel film too. Not a great film, perfect film, but I loved Linda Blair in this one. Of course, Miss Exorcist herself uh, directed by Tom D. Simone and um, this is just a typical slasher flick, you know, kids going to this place to have a party and, and Killer shows up. Uh, but it, It's got kind of your cheese factor in it big time, but Overall, I I like this one. Hell Night. Well worth a watch, I think.
0: Yes. And and Josh Minor, listener Josh Minor, backs you on that. He says, Linda Blair, not in an Exorcist movie. That's his his (laughs) comment on that. (laughs) And that's true, because honestly, that's how people think of it. You know, that movie. But that's funny. Okay, uh, Dr. Shock, what do you got?
1: Okay. I'm just going to mention this one real quick. I'm not going to discuss it, but you can go back and actually listen to our, our, our uh, Australian horror for Road Games from 1981, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Richard Franklin um, with Stacey Keats and Jamie Lee Curtis. It is set in the Outback, um, and it's one of those movies that really kind of angered the local Australian talent actors and so forth because they're like, wait a second, we have this major movie here, and it's starring two Americans. But anyway, uh, and how would two Americans just all be, meet each other in the outback? I'm not saying it can't happen, but that's, right. that's what they, that was their argument. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Final Exam, okay. which is in 1981. It's another college one. The scene I always remember about this is th- there's a hazing ceremony where they poured, um, uh, I guess, ice water down this kid's shorts. Like, they had him stripped down to his underwear, and then they poured ice water uh, down his shorts. And the actor actually went through this hazing ceremony for <laughs> the movie. Um, you gotta earn only it. Two. And then they left him tied up there, part of the hazing ceremony, and with a killer loose on the campus that nobody knows anything about. I guess you can kind of guess what happens from there. It's not one of the ones that—it's not one of my favorites— OK, um, I'm trying to think of like something uh, there's there's a scene in here where um, these kids, uh, these students put themselves in masks. They pose as armed gunmen um, and they're it's it's a prank, but they're like shooting kids who are on their way to class. Um, and it, it does create some tension early on, even though when you find out it's a prank, you're kind of like, you know, what the heck? Um, I, I'm just, I'm trying to remember it. I'm trying to remember it as I'm talking about it here.
0: I just like the IMDb uh, description says a psycho killer shows up on a college campus to slash up pretty co-eds and dumb jocks.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> I think you could pretty much, I think you could pretty much lift that and just change final exam to the, the, the names of uh, like a, a good number of slasher movies from the 1980s, to be honest with you. Right. But it does take a while for the killer to, to come on the scene um, it does pick up once the killer shows up the movie, you know, it, it, it definitely gets better, but I just remember it taking a while for the killer to get there.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, still, it's an interesting one. I think the guy who directed it, um, I think he might've been a teacher or something or an instructor and everybody in the movie is either uh, a friend or a student of his. Um, so it's, it's one that's, you know, it, it's an interesting entry, um, and if you get a chance, I wouldn't put it towards the top of the priority, mm-hmm. but it's worth checking out.
0: Yeah. So uh, on final exam, Jason Dragon is It's his number 20. He says, I've just noticed all the college horror films out there and limited premise, but always solid fun. And on the previous one, you mentioned Dave. It was his number eight in his top twenty. He said, "Stacy Keach rules the roads of Australia." Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis represented once again. So
1: yes. it's good. It's it's excellent. Road Games is really a, a, a very good movie. I would recommend that one of the two. I, that's definitely the stronger of the of the two.
0: All right. Well, at this point, let's move into Josh's feature review of The Burning. <laughs>
5: The midnight Swings, don't. i sneak on back to the campsite, get some matches, build us a hot fire, don't be wrong. And if you're thinking about being with someone when no one can see you, don't. Because this summer, A Legend of Terror isn't just a campfire story anymore. They think- say,
2: the Burning is one of those, like Dave mentioned with Final Exam, where you can basically take the premise and copy and paste that to many, many 80s slasher movies. I think this is one, though, that uh, exceeds maybe your expectations. Um, you know, listener Jason Dragon, who has come up, I think, on this show if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> he's
0: our—he's our, he's actually our drinking game for this episode. Yeah, that's yeah,
2: right. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. He mentioned that a previous film was the best movie uh, featuring the Cropsy legend. And once again, as I did with Terror Train, I'm going to have to disagree, and I'm going to have to say The Burning is the best uh, movie, in my opinion, dealing with the Cropsy legend. Uh, basically, what you have here is a film conceived of by the Weinstein brothers, which I think is an interesting element to this one. Uh, yeah. Kind of like what we talked about with the last film, you've got these you know, mainstream filmmakers making a horror movie and the effect that that has in this early stage of the slasher. Um, you know, the Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein got the idea, I guess, as far as I understand, to take this Cropsy legend and turn it into a horror movie based on the success of Friday the 13th. These guys were concert promoters, Made a few art house films, but had yet to break out. And this was one of their biggest productions to date, and uh, it was uh, over a million dollars they spent on this film, which is a lot, you know, for a, a kids in the woods slasher movie at this era. Um, and they nabbed Tom Savini, who we've talked about a lot tonight. He was already famous for his work with George Romero and and for oh. doing Friday the Thirteenth. And as Dave mentioned, he didn't want to do for the 15th part two. And so they were able to get him for the burning. As I understand it, the Prowler was maybe a high point for Savini, but I don't think he is as proud of his work in the burning. And I think it was because the schedule was rushed. It may also have been because his work was largely unseen for many, many years. This was a heavily censored movie um, in the UK and in the US. And the full original version wasn't actually released, as I understand it, until 2007 um, when it came out on DVD, and that was the first time I saw the movie, um, was when it was released on DVD in the U.S. in 2007 with all the original segments intact. It's since been re-released by um, Scream Factory, uh, and even a better uh, release on Blu-ray. But this is... uh, It's a... Pretty impressive um, gore scenes for my money. I mean, they're they're kind of quick and brief, but they uh, there are a couple really notable scenes. One is takes place on a raft, and it's one of those times where, although it doesn't compare to the scene that Dave was describing in the Prowler, it's one of those times where I think when I watch it, I think about Savini's background as a, a war photographer and think, man, this is kind of sick. Like this this guy has seen some real stuff and I can kind of like imagine it when I'm watching uh, this movie, what he must've seen in, in in the field, you know, right. right. in active duty. So um, anyway, it's, it's got some really interesting deaths. My favorite death is, I guess it's kind of a tried and true horror cliche, even at this point, mostly thanks to Michael Myers, but where someone being stabbed and lifted off the ground, you know, we saw that in both of the first Halloween movies. Mm -hmm. Um, This is one of the coolest, in my opinion, mostly because of the way it's shot. The camera work is really awesome in that moment. Um, And generally, this movie has some great camera work. I think it's a little muddled in terms of story, and I think it could be a lot better than it even is. But I think this is another one of those that could be (laughs) seen as a a classic, I think, by a lot of people. Josh,
0: I agree 100% with what you said about it being a little muddled in terms of story because... When we reviewed this before, I argued on like the weekly horror movie podcast that they got like, a summer camp movie stuffed in the middle of this. It's like 40 to 50 minutes of no horror elements, just summer fun, and well, then it goes know, back no. into horror, and like people get really ticked when I say that, that but it's ba- my only gripe.
1: When, that was back when Jay timed everything.
0: I yeah, still, was, I still I do.
1: I, I think
2: can't. Jay's exaggerating
1: a little bit here. It's like well, 40
0: um, minutes, no kidding.
2: It starts with two <laughs> horror scenes. Three hor- It starts with three horror scenes back to back. Um, it starts with the previous, uh, the previous evils we've talked about quite a lot. Uh, then it skips ahead to the future and we see kind of like a scary hospital scene. Then it cuts to kind of like a scene that is very reminiscent of like Peeping Tom. Actually, I think it's even shot very similarly to Peeping Tom.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we see a kill with a prostitute. Um, I do think that the legend and how that all fits in is a little is a little wonky, and I, I wish that it was structured a little bit better. Like I, as I was watching it this time again, like I don't, I don't, I try not to watch movies with a critical eye a lot because once I started working in film, um, it was hard to kind of suspend my disbelief. So now I only watch it with a critical eye if I'm going to review it on the show. Um, I try to anyway, and uh, watching it for the first time that way. I was thinking, man, they could structure this so much better just moving a few scenes around Mm -hmm. and you would get so much more suspense out of who this killer is. You could make it a mystery. It could be like the original Friday the 13th in many, many ways if they just structured it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I agree with Jay in the sense that there's a lot of camp drama here. (laughs) Um, and as As I mentioned earlier, it doesn't, like a lot of these characters don't know what's happening till almost the very end of the movie. All right. Um. Besides Harvey Weinstein producing this and his brother Bob being responsible for at least co-writing the screenplay, it's notable that um, there are a lot of big actors who were making early uh, appearances. In some cases, their screen debuts, like Jason Alexander, who for me is George Costanza. All right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um. He's really funny in this movie. He's weird, like he's he's theatrical. But for his first performance, he's good. I really like yeah. him in the movie. It's like
1: it's almost like George Costanza goes to camp, is what you get. Yeah, it's right. totally. <laughs> <No>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Just
1: with
2: but a
3: little more
4: like, hair.
2: Yeah, well, it's the episode where he got the rug. You know,
4: right. <laughs> right.
1: I was
2: bald. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: I love. Him. Fisher Stevens is in this movie as a really little kid, which is crazy to see him because I only think about short circuit when I see him. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And uh, Holly Holly, Hunter. Holly Hunter. That's the one I couldn't get over. Yeah, she's not in it.
1: very much like no, but I still no. have a
3: problem finding her in the movie. Mm.
1: Yeah, I she's um, uh, it's like a softball scene or something, I think I might have seen, it. I can't remember, but she's I in the
2: softball scene, she's wearing like the blue t shirt. She's not the girl yeah. who goes into the woods, not I think
1: that's Tiger who goes into the woods. Yeah, um, she's Sophie in the movie. But, okay. Um. okay, okay, okay. It, it's also interesting in this movie because. You know, usually in, in slasher movie in slasher films, when you get to know the characters pretty well, you know that most of them aren't going to make it. But this one is a little bit more selective.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: you know, like some people. I don't want to. I don't want to get too deep into that, but just we'll leave it at that. Anyway, people who see the movie will will know what I'm talking about. Um, just to bring my wife up again, um, we have very different. Like we do watch some horror movies together, and we have very different tastes. Like she can sit there through movies like The Conjuring. Or The Others or something like that. All these ghost movies that just really creeped me out. And she could just sit there and love them. She absolutely loves those movies. But when I showed her The Burning, it petrified her. She said she was going to have nightmares. It scared her so much. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. With The Burning. And I had a completely opposite effect. Like, for me, it's like the same, that sort of comfort food type of thing. Yeah. For <laughs> me, but for her, it just absolutely petrified. And the scene that really got her, uh, Josh, is the one you mentioned about the kill lifting off the ground. That yeah. was I mean that was where she almost just you know, she did it once with Salem's lot too. She almost got up and said, This this movie's evil. I've well, got to get out well, of it. Like,
0: yeah, those garden shears are really scary. And I remember the first time I ever heard um <laughs> Greg Amortis r- review this film. I loved it because he he said, he said, just imagine a gigantic pair of scissors. That's what it's like. And I loved it. It, That's exactly (laughs) right.
2: (laughs) He starts out with a small pair of scissors and graduates to a giant pair of scissors. That's right. That's
4: right.
2: Um, Yeah. I think uh, Cropsey, you know, the killer here has a bit of a Jason Voorhees look to him, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. his is due to a burning, but it's crazy how similar he looks to Jason, and a lot of these kills, or at least the setups, take place in people having sex in the woods. That feels very later Friday the Thirteenth. we haven't at this point Friday the Thirteenth we haven't seen much of it, um, where the, the franchise actually was. But by the time we get into like three and four, this feels like exactly what you would expect to see in a Friday the Thirteenth movie in terms of mm-hmm. like skinny dipping scenes, sex in a sleeping bag scene, you know, right. all that stuff. But, um, I don't know. It's, it's a really fun watch for me. The only thing I can't stand and he's in it a lot is this character, Alfred. I, I that character just drives me nuts. I can't stand to watch Alfred, but, um, <laughs> okay. but Brian Packer, but Brian Matthews is Todd. I really like, I like a lot of the cast, um, of this film. I think it's a really fun cast.
0: So, what do you rate The Burning, Josh?
2: I would give The Burning a nine, and I say buy it.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: It's one of uh-huh. my top five flashers of all time, probably.
0: Totally. Yes. Great one. Okay. Yep. Yes. And uh, our buddy Dr- <laughs> Jason Dragon, obviously <laughs> wow. one of his honorable mentions, he said it's fun, but it doesn't compare to Madman or Friday the 13th. But it does have one of the greatest kills in cinema, he says. Um, take a drink. That, that's right take yeah, a drink
1: jay you've got to give us the rest of his 20 how many are left i think we've got well, i don't, you've got to at least read no, off no, the no. rest of his uh, i i or, just or is that for a later episode i
0: just have them listed with each film you know i just pulled this mm-hmm. number and put it with the film but um how many
1: have you done do you have you kept track of how many you've done so far of the top 20 no. i think you're up to 28 to be honest with you no yeah, that's
0: He's doing 20 per year, correct? There were a few honorable mentions he had in there, but so just because we get to wrap up pretty soon and I'm sorry to say that, but um, so just real quick. So we got night school from 1981 where you've got somebody decapitating innocent girls at the local night school. Mm -hmm. Police are baffled. You got don't go in the woods in 1981, maniacal murderer kills tourists in the woods.
1: Not one of my favorites, I'll be honest with you, but okay.
0: And then we got, um, it's called X-Ray, or AKA, it's also known as Hospital Massacre. Oh, yeah. Yes. W- while receiving a routine checkup, a beautiful woman is stalked by a maniac out to avenge a childhood Valentine's Day humiliation. Yes. Oh, okay. talk about it. Really good flick. Anything you want to tell us about it?
3: No, it's just, it's it's a really good film. Uh, scream, Factor, Shout, Factor, whatever. It's the, on the two-pack with uh, Schizoid, and... First time watch a few years ago, last year, year before, and I was blown away. I thought it was really good. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman. Just uh, this, this a really good film. Takes place in a hospital, like it said, Hospital Massacre. and It's kind of psychological aspect to it as well, but I really enjoyed that one.
0: Yeah, I believe you're referring to uh, Barbie Benton
3: yes and, uh, Barbie. yes uh, of
0: <laughs> yes of her because take a drink jason dragon mentioned her and now uh, he says maybe you can explain this joke to me greg because i haven't seen this movie he says stars the lovely barbie benton microphone just cracked tiles i don't get that
3: <laughs> do, do you get it <laughs> somewhat what he's saying but uh okay yeah 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 let's just say there's some whoo a lot of nudity in this one and uh you do not get left alone and uh you do not leave anything to imagination in this one it is okay very very nice to watch all
4: right (laughs) there
3: you go
0: okay Greg mortis do you want to take us home for the night unless there's something else pressing with somebody anybody else but and talk about friday the 13th part two
3: all right, Friday Thirteenth Part Two. There again, you can go back to what episode we had on here, and then you go episode forty-three, baby, forty-three, baby, and you can go to Land, 43, 43, <laughs> baby, go to Land of the Creeps episode because blah, 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 I can't remember we did the franchise as well. Uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Two, really good film. I, I, I think really good. You got the Baghead this time. Where Friday Thirteenth Part One, you really didn't have Jason until spoiler. Fast forward five seconds till the very end of the movie this one focuses on Jason Voorhees and like I said, he's got the bag head. Um, you know, you got, <clears throat> you got great. And I like her, Amy Steele, who did a few other horror flicks as well. And I like Amy still as a, as a heron and, uh, This is really cool. It it does like all the Friday 13th movies did after number one, like the first 15 minutes of movies, the rehashing of the first one uh, kind of deal. But, uh, no, this is, this is really good. You got Jason in it. You got him running in this one, which I had totally forgot that Jason ran through most of the films. Always in my mind pictured him walking, but he did run, um, creepy elements in it. The, the scenes toward the end of the movie. Uh, Without spoiling too much for those who, why you haven't seen them, I don't know. But for those that haven't seen it, the ending of this movie is really tense. Uh, Yes. Very tense. I mean, it's hardcore. I loved it. Uh, You know, a bunch of drunks, party, typical Friday 13th movie. I thought it had some really uh, decent kills in it. I don't think it's the best of the series as far as all the kills in it, but I thought it had some good ones in it. Uh, You definitely got the uh, wheelchair. I thought was Woo! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that okay. scene, but, uh, that's one, of my, that's
1: one of the most memorable scenes I think in the movie.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. And like I said, the baghead Jason, I like it. Yeah. I like, it. uh, um, it's kind of like, and, and God, for the life of me, it has slipped my mind, but what was the other, uh, there was a slasher flick a few the years. Town that, the town that, oh no, that one, but, um, The other one that had the bag head um oh, uh, Malevolence, Malevolence. Has anybody seen Malevolence? Malevolence,
0: okay. Yep. I know Have you seen? seen. I haven't seen it. I have not. Okay, that's a
3: really good, really good slasher flick that drew off of this with the bag head. And, you know, check that one out. Really good film. Uh, but this one, I like it. I think it's a pretty film. I think it's a nice film. I like Amy Steele. Uh, there again, number three still being my favorite of the series. But I thought this was a strong, you know, coming up off the first one where you didn't really have Jason introduce them like this. I thought they did done a good job with
0: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm torn between this one and number three. I love both of them, and they're both mm-hmm. tremendous. Uh-huh. But, okay, so um, that's going to do it, I think, for 1981. And, yeah. Uh,
2: I had one request, Jay.
0: What is it? Let's hear it.
2: Could we get rev- uh ratings and recommendations for everybody on the feature reviews? Cuz I think our listeners would love to hear uh your guys' scores on the Burning and everyone's scores on the Prowler and
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh what do you guys rate on the the Prowler then? Let's uh Greg morris what do you rate that sucker? <sighs>
3: Wow. I don't remember what I've rated this in the past, but I would give The Prowler a 9.5. It's almost a perfect film. 9.5
0: for me. Okay. Dave?
1: I had 9.5. Absolutely. All right. Oh, me too. <laughs> 9.5 <laughs>
0: 9. and buy it. Nice. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, yeah, I think we all said 9.5 on that. So that's interesting. Okay. Very good. Uh, let me what see. About what about the burning? The burning, that's right. Okay, uh, what do you say on the burning, Greg Mortis? I have rated that one in the past too. For life, of me can't remember, but it would definitely be a
3: nine, nine point five. I would go with a let's go nine. Okay, Doctor Shock,
1: I, I'd give it an eight and uh, say it's worth it's worth picking up. I think you know, I think the ones we're feature reviewing during these uh, these groups are all going to be ones that I think should be in the in the collection.
0: Yeah, and um, back on episode twelve of the weekly horror movie podcast, I rated The Burning an eight out of ten. I said buy it. I took off the two points for all the camp stuff. <laughs> <Anyways>. <laughs> but it was still
1: kind of fun. Don't you think that was kind of fun with Jason Alexander? I thought he made that at least yeah. interesting. It would be yeah. fun if I was watching a camp
0: movie.
1: I think that adds a lot to
2: it. Actually, I mean, I would say it's still a bit much. Like, there's probably an extra ten minutes I didn't need of that. Maybe mm-hmm. fifteen. But, like, I think it adds a level of realism that you don't have in any other the camp horror movies that I can actually think of that right. actually feel like I'm at camp with these kids, you know? Right.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because I've been at camp like that, you know, shooting the, the yeah. slingshot and hitting the <laughs>
2: – it's yeah. so good. so good.
0: Uh-huh.
2: You're out there with a the pea shooter, Greg Amortish, and, yeah. and I can tell.
3: Yeah,
0: nice. <laughs> I love my pea shooter. And, and as for ratings, <laughs> I didn't see uh, Gregor Morris' feature review, The Boogeyman. I've never seen that one. Have you guys I seen haven't it?
1: Seen, I have not seen that either,
0: no. Okay, we'll have to work on that. But Okay, so um, now as we wrap up the show, we're going to give you the Horror Madness bracket results there for round Ooh. one. This is after um, basically one day of voting, so make sure you get in there, everybody, to to. <laughs> tell us your thoughts for round two but anyways um here's what we're gonna we're gonna do this kind of fast i'm gonna tell you what the matchup is and just go around just all three of you and say which one you think won ready here goes my bloody valentine versus maniac cop
4: Oof.
2: my bloody valentine i say my bloody valentine
0: my bloody valentine correct it won uh, by a lot. Okay. Well,
2: that's that's a tough matchup though. Yeah. It I is like is
0: Maniac.
1: Right. I, I do yeah. like Maniac Cop, yeah.
0: Yeah, we got uh, Psycho 2 versus Friday the 13th Part 2.
1: <laughs> no, it had to be Friday the 13th. I would go yeah. Friday the 13th Part 2. Yeah. Yes, by yeah. a huge. I love Psycho 2 though. Yeah. I love
0: you too, yeah. I yeah.
1: do too.
0: Yeah, when we get to that, um we've had people call that masterpiece level stuff. So we'll yeah, yeah. we'll get to that yeah. soon. Yes, yeah, so Friday the 13th Part 2 one. The matchup: You got Halloween Four versus Opera. Ooh,
2: I say I'm, Opera. The audience is Halloween Four. I pretty much <laughs> said
1: Halloween Four. I think.
3: Yeah, I would go Halloween Four, but I love Opera.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Halloween Four won significantly.
1: Landslide.
0: Mm. Now this I one,
3: Opera is a little bit more obscure.
0: Yeah, it is. This one surprises me a little bit. Happy birthday to me versus April Fool's Day.
2: Ooh. Uh, hey, ooh! happy birthday to me, I think, is the better movie. But I kind of prefer April Fool's Day, if that makes any sense. I love April yeah. Fool's Day. Mm-hmm.
4: I
1: I don't like both of them have endings that leave me like, what the mm-hmm. hell? But yeah, I yeah. probably I'd probably go with April Fool's
3: Day. I'd I'm going to lean toward April happy Fool's birthday day. to me, but I love April
0: Fool's Day. <laughs> OK, April Fool's Day one on that one. Nice. Um, I'm a little
2: surprised
0: by that. Yeah, me too, because I thought a lot of people hated that. I appreciate it for what it is. Uh, There's graduation day versus prom night. Mm Yep, prom night. (sighs) I probably
1: went with graduation day, but I'm sure prom night would have won
0: it. Yeah, it was prom night. It had the biggest spread of all these here. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yep. And then the next (laughs) one (laughs) you got He Knows You're Alone versus Slumber Party Massacre.
1: Oh, 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 it's got to be Slumber Party Massacre. I would go with Slumber Party Massacre, but I'd more like...
0: the YouTube nudity road. part of it,
3: yeah, Slumber Party. Slumber
1: Party <laughs> Massacre.
0: That's correct. You guys were right. Okay, here's like one of the toughest matchups in the whole list. The Prowler versus Maniac. Oh,
1: I, I went with Prowler only because it's higher on my top 10, but man, they're both in my top 10.
2: <sighs> yeah, I have to go Prowler, but that's, yeah, that's rough. I
3: know. Yeah, that's I really would rough. go
0: Prowler. Yep, the Prowler, and it was pretty close. It was pretty close.
1: I imagine it would have
0: been. Okay, this one was interesting to me. You got a nightmare on Elm Street versus a nightmare on Elm Street Three Dream Warriors. Oh
1: man, man. that is rough. That, I, I went with I went with the original. <laughs> I went with the original just because it's the original. But man, number three is so good.
3: I love number three. I'm going Dream Warrior. Um
1: man
2: it, I I can't remember which one I rated higher. I probably rated Dream Warrior higher.
0: Yeah, well um the uh, listeners picked A Nightmare on Elm Street the original.
1: That's, That's probably figured, yeah. smart.
0: Okay. <laughs> and then the the closest race neck and neck you got Return to Horror high versus mm. Slaughter high.
4: Ooh.
1: I go I Slaughter high.
3: See, I don't recall Slaughter High as much as I do return, so I go
1: return. Yeah, I'm thinking I'd say All probably has one on of R those High. ridiculous
2: endings to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes, well uh, Slaughter High one of this matchup. Okay. okay. And, and okay. here here's one. You got madman versus Sleepaway Camp Two. Oh.
1: Sleepaway Camp Two. Two. Oh two. Um oh. I'm actually I'm not might. as big. Is a lot. I think one. I might. Yeah, I might go to. I might go with Madman on that one. Yeah,
0: I'm going <laughs> Madman. The listeners voted Sleepaway Camp Two. Ooh, wow. Okay, now you got The Burning versus Basket Case. <sighs> I
1: would go with The Burning. Basket Case is a great movie, but I, I think the I think it's more of like a monster movie type of thing. Although, <laughs> no, it's, it's got some slasher elements in it. I I I'd still go with The Burning.
2: Basket Case is a classic, but. I think um The Burning is the better
3: film.
0: Yeah, I'll agree. Yep, the Burning One on that one. And then you got Friday the thirteenth, it's part four, the final chapter, of course. And then you got Friday the thirteenth, part six. Oh
1: I went with part I went with part four. As much part as I like part six oh. with part four Part four is one of my is is also in the top ten, and I absolutely love it. (laughs) You got Crispin
3: Glover's fake dance, is his funky dance. So you you got got Crispin Crispin Glover's
1: great. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Part six is awesome. Like it is is. is
2: an amazing comic book movie, almost, but it's not as much of a horror movie as part four.
0: Sure. Um, Well, I'm with you. It was uh, Friday the 13th. Part four is the winner on that.
2: Nice.
0: And then you got now this to me is no contest whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, Pieces versus the dorm that dripped blood
1: <laughs> yes i know because jay's jay's remembering 50 minutes of uh, of them talking about taking the college apart when it's about five
4: yeah, yeah. I, I
1: actually i actually went with pieces in this one too because i will agree that pieces is is the it's the better slasher of the two
0: yeah i would go to pieces definitely Yes, pieces one as it should, and then you got Silent Night, Deadly Night versus Terror Train.
4: Oh,
2: Terror Train for me. Oh, I, See, I love, think, I, I, think I think I think I went.
1: Night. I think I went Silent Night, Deadly Night I, for some weird I, I do say, like Terror Train, mm-mm.
3: but I'd go Terror Train, but I love Silent Night, Deadly Night.
0: Well, Silent Night, Deadly Night is the one that won. Okay,
3: oh, go Utah. Go Utah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, the Utah shop movie. That's right. Yeah. And then you got Child's Play versus Friday the Thirteenth, the original.
1: Oh, Ooh. Friday the Thirteenth. I picked. I mean, I, Child's Play is a lot of fun, but I went Friday the
0: Thirteenth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. That's correct. The original Friday the Thirteenth one. And then okay. finally, you got Halloween two versus Sleepaway Camp. Oh God, no <sighs> brainer. No brainer.
1: Uh, I think I went with Halloween two. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna have to go a
2: wake up
0: here. Boo hiss hiss. Yeah, it was Halloween two was the winner. And so uh, <laughs> yeah. round two uh, begins. The voting opens up after episode one hundred one. This episode you're listening to is posted, and you're gonna have My Bloody Valentine versus Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, Halloween, oh. Halloween Four versus April Fool's Day. Prom Night versus Slumber Party Massacre. The Prowler versus A Nightmare on Elm Street. Slaughter High versus Sleepaway Camp 2. The Burning versus Friday the 13th Part 4. Pieces versus Silent Night Deadly Night. And Friday the 13th versus Halloween 2. So it's good stuff. Wow. That's some
1: that's that's big matchups. Vote. Vote. That's
0: right, everybody. It's going to be great. So thanks again, Kagan, for you all your help. Complain,
1: you can't complain if you don't vote.
0: That's exactly right. Well, everybody, uh, three and a half hours later or whatever it's been, <laughs> I think that wraps up episode 101 of Horror Movie Podcast, where we only got through two years of the 80s <laughs> slasher decade. <laughs> uh, sorry, but, you know, we we honestly, this if we had tried to finish out this, we would have gone into our day tomorrow. It's 2.30 for Greg and Doc and this is crazy so anyways <laughs> yeah join us uh next week for probably 1980 what two and 1983 if i had to guess yeah that's yeah. probably all yeah. we'll be covering next week and uh, Greg mortis is going to return so greg let the listeners know where they can find you and your podcast and anything else you want to plug
3: thank you jay josh doc of course man you guys rock thank you listeners you can follow me at facebook you can my regular facebook's under greg morgan you can look me out uh facebook group page fan page for land of the creeps you can go to land of the for the podcast itunes stitcher all that uh twitter greg amortis instagram uh pretty much anywhere uh that kind of deal but Thank you so much, man. I have always loved you guys from day one for real. Um, awesome. Thanks, you for guys, me, You guys are yeah, awesome. Thank you. And uh, thank you for allowing me to be on once again. I love you guys for real. It's,
1: it's an, an honor. Place. Yes. Absolutely. We- Especially for this topic. This, you're the man for this.
3: Oh, yeah. I got to put my email out there. Greg Moore to 666 at gmail.com.
0: <laughs> so right back at you on all that, Greg. You're the best. Thank you. And, um, Thank you. All right. And uh, Dr. Shark, what are your plugs?
1: Plugs are the same as always. DVDinfatuation.com. Still going strong with the um, 31 Days of Halloween or 31 Days of Horror. I changed things up. I had all these movies planned out. And then I had gotten a, uh, a gift card for my birthday. And I went and got all these independent horror movies. And the independent Section of the the Walmart or local Walmart, they had all these cool with you know, the covers look good, and I said I will give mm-hmm. this a try. Well, I'm 0 for 4 so far, <laughs>
4: but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully things
1: are going to get better uh, with the last three that I have to look at. Um, and uh, I'm at DVD Infatuation on Twitter. I have a Facebook page as well, and you can check me out on Land of the Creeps. Um, uh, I'm going to be on the next one. you are you want to preview that show, Greg? I mean, I'm
3: yes we're sir we're actually um, yeah we're actually going into our Halloween month so we are going to be doing the original Fright Night and also the Fright Night Part 2 and on top of that I have a screener that I'm going to be reviewing from our exploitation called Vampire so you won't want to miss that with Doc and Jesse Robbins and hopefully Dr. Dirty
0: awesome alright and Wolfman Josh what about you
2: Check out my other podcast movie streamcast where we do short reviews of streaming content for the month of October. We are doing spooky movies that don't necessarily fit with horror movie podcasts. So we've done Beetlejuice and Teen Wolf and uh, that, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. And you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Icarus arts, which is the name of my production company. One more thing to plug. I was on the sci-fi podcast for their last (laughs) two episodes and the one that just posted was a lot of fun. We went to a virtual reality experience of the Void, which is um, like the most interactive virtual reality thing in the world. And we got to be Ghostbusters. We got to go fight the Marshmallow Man. We got to <laughs> we got to fight the lady that's in the new movie in the mansion in that first scene in the mansion. Um, it was amazing. I got to, like, use a proton pack and a, and a ghost trap in this weird virtual reality space. And we recorded an episode about that. And then we also review Phantasm Five Ravager. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> nice.
1: Excellent.
0: All right. I'll have that stuff linked in the show notes. And as for me, you can check out my other podcast. It's the sister show to this one. It's called Movie Podcast Weekly. We review new movies that are in theaters every single week and we review all genres, not just horror, but actually everything. And um, it ends up being more of a comedy show than a serious film criticism podcast, much to my chagrin. But I do try to bring the film criticism to it. But uh, Well, you'll hear it. It's very ridiculous and um we love your comments thank you everyone who participated in this show especially like our friends like jason dragon who, who sent us his list he did what we were hoping which is the people would send us their picks. so when you hear this episode you can email me at horror movie at gmail.com and unless i get totally inundated by a tidal wave of emails um, we'll try to incorporate more of your picks in there. And like I said, next episode will be slasher films for 1982 and 83, apparently, because that seems to be the pace that we're moving. So we love your comments. Make sure you get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode, or you could email us at horrormoviepodcast@gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. All of our episodes, including the weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis, are available at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes. You can leave us a review. We'd love that. And you can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. I want to thank frederick ingram for the use of his music for the horror movie podcast theme song you can find more of fred's music at frederick ingram.com that'll be linked in the show notes and i also want to thank kagan who also contributed to our new intro with the uh, orchestration there with the string quartet very remarkable music. Thank you. So I think that's it for episode 101. We thank you for listening and join us again next Friday for our Halloween episode of horror movie podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.
5: Lore of the campfire telling of his horror. Lost in the woods with the madman and the stars. Don't laugh at the tales. Heed if you call him the last.